I'm the target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really <laughs> exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and produced by Nicholas Lott. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? I think there are many people who are mature people who aren't some form of crazy, right? Dude, I they just develop it with age. Um, no, we own it with age. I think we've had it our whole fucking lives. Yeah, I mean, I think you just develop that like comfort with your neurosis yeah like, just expressing it maybe yeah you know i like i i just started dating someone new and like there's all this stuff that like 10 years ago hang on stop like, this is too good we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> want to have the microphone briefing keep that up to no, your face not yet uh, no, the, the how, biggest thing that we struggle with is it you know this feels like an odd thing in front of your face that's interrupting the conversation so it gets kind of natural for people to do this mm-hmm. you hear how you don't hear me anymore yeah no. totally so it's not uh it's not the ice cream cone <laughs> It's a, it's a penis. Too easy. You gotta, you gotta go for <laughs> gonna, the tip. We're gonna get it done. Um, but you know, there's all this stuff that like ten years ago I would like keep on the DL, and now I'm like, oh man, let me tell you this other crazy <laughs> bullshit about me that's gonna drive you up the fucking wall. Like, so amped about it. Yeah, I think you just realize that there's no value in hiding those sorts of things, right? I yeah. Think, well, it's also like it's coming out like sooner or later. So, like <laughs> someone's gonna you, tell. You might as well get excited <laughs> about it now. Hell yeah. It, yeah. Are we doing it? Yeah, guys. We are live. Okay, we're good. doing it. All right, Alex, we're doing it. Alex get this saw thing a rolling. valuable conversation and hit record early. He's like, I like this shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, man, I'm completely lost. Yeah, Nick and I were talking about... So I, I have some very weird um, germaphobes. I, I'm very germ aware. I just I get very concerned with cleaning my hands, following certain things up. Um, and Nick was wondering how 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 many of those might be self taught. Like I've thought I've talked myself into them, and how many of them are actually a problem. And I definitely agree. Some of them are are contrived from my own problems. You know, like well, this is an issue now. I'm going to make this an issue in my own mind. Um, but um, yeah, no, my sister has some of the same. I'm not just crazy. My sister's crazy now. My sister knows publicly that I think she's fucking crazy. So good for her. <laughs> well, I know you pretty well, and don't worry, Debbie, you're not alone. <laughs> you are not. Wait a minute, that's not a good song to sing to my sister. Um, anyways, we have Richo Butts sitting here. Richo Healy. It was fun to see you at Nationals this year. Um, I, I wasn't at Nationals, but to watch the scores because I'm sure half our friends had no clue who this Richo Healy guy competing was. Yeah, no, I mean, it comes up on and off, um, you know, which name I'm using trips people up. There there was, at Summerfest, they really didn't want me to use uh, Richo Butts. They wanted Richo Healy because they were like, well, if something happens, we need to be able to find you on the waiver. And I was like, sure, fair enough, reasonable. But then every time I go to the window, they're like, we can't find you. And I'm like, I know. I told you to use the name that everyone knows. But um, yeah. To, you know, Richo Butts, Nate Healy, whatever makes you happy. Yeah, but um, most people know you as Richo Butts. They do. Uh, the funny accent is from? It's from Australia. Australia. It's from California, man. Well, yeah, it's it's like it Cal- is weird. I hear certain words that you've just totally and completely lost the accent. Yeah, it's re- and it, some of it is honestly from just spending so much time here. Like, here is like the perfect example. Because there will be times <laughs> where I'll point to something and say there, and I'll just get a blank stare. And then after three or four goes, I'm like, there... 
and they're like, oh, why didn't you just say that? And now I just die a little inside, but I just say there the first time and like just get it done, you know? My favorite part is you actually make a face as no, you I say hate it. it. I hate it so, and like every time I catch myself doing it, I literally do like just feel a little. See, even a, the word literally, it comes out so American. And like I feel a little piece of the light inside me just go out <laughs> like yeah, every well, time I do it. What do your Aussie friends say when you talk to them on the phone? Oh, it's horrible. And I actually, when, when I first moved to the US, I had this boss and his accent was the the same like horrible hybrid that I have now and I was brutal like I used to rip the piss out of him like so badly and now I'm in this horrible limbo where in the US no one understands a word that I say and when I go to Australia my friends are very mean like they let me know how they feel about my like broken seppo accent so it's uh it's awesome broken what what was the word oh you you haven't heard the term seppo seppo I don't know yeah so Australians are stoked on rhyming slang right so yank Tank, septic tank, uh-huh. Seppo. Okay. <laughs> oh, we're a bunch of Seppos. Alex That's is locking that I love one. It. I'm taking notes over here. I like it. <laughs> Isn't is that Cogni? Is that what I think? That's a, a, like a big British thing too. Yeah. Yeah. Cockney. So, yeah. So Cockney, Cockney rhyming slang is sort of like the the origin from it, like back in the UK. But I think Australian rhyming slang is sort of taken on its own little mm-hmm. like. Uh, but you know the the other classic <laughs> example I give dude, is that's, uh, a, that's a reach. You know, if we're like. Um, if something exciting is going on, it'd be like, oh, you want to go take a butcher's, right? Butcher's hook, a look. Look, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know that. Uh, trouble and Strife, Wife. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and Date Bonnie, Bonnie Rubble, Trouble. You know, there's like. That one I only know from uh, Snatch, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. Or no, it's not Snatch. That's uh, Ocean's Eleven. It is Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Um, but I think I think there's rhyming slang in Snatches. I mean, whatever. It's a whole thing. But uh, yeah. No, I'm, I still like, I cling on to the Australian thing as best I can. But there are definitely days where it's getting away from me. When was the last time you were back there? Uh, 2019, I went to Australian Nationals. Um, and that's sort of been the rhythm I've been in for the last few years is like I just go back for Nationals, um, you know, see everyone, catch up with some friends, hopefully make the team. Um, as for what's going to happen with next year's Nationals is something of a question mark, I think. But yeah, what, what month is Nationals in Australia? Uh, they've set the date. So it's going to be March 2022 or it, it's, it's on the books for March 2022. So but in 2019, I have to imagine it went down before the, the shutdown and lockdowns all took place. Well, so, yeah, I mean, it was April 2019, which is, you know, smooth sailing. It was like sort of November that stuff started looking grim and then like early 2020 that it, that it all kicked off. So that was like, you know, this like period of normalcy. Um, I went to the World Cup in November 19 in South Africa. Um, and then it was really like leading into, um, you know, like planning for Russia. World's uh, Sorry, Australian Nationals was actually going to be New Zealand because, of course, it would be. It's basically the same country. <laughs> Uh, and then it like got moved to Picton and then it got moved back to New Zealand and then it was canceled. And then it was, it was a whole, that seems like a thing Australians would protest having d- nationals in New Zealand. So it's actually incredible because the, so for a long time, um, New Zealand nationals was at Australian nationals, right? Cause it was like, it's hard to run two events. It's easy to run one. Right. But like in 2019, like only two Kiwis showed up. Like it just had a third one show up. He just would have got a bronze medal whether he jumped or not, you know, like, <laughs> Um, but you know, there was like a huge protest about it. And a lot of the Aussies were like, yeah, whatever, just, just show it. It's not a big deal. Suck it up, fly across the Tasman. Uh, and then when they were like, uh, cause, uh, York, the drop zone in Perth that used to host Aussie nationals got sold. It was like a you know separate whole thing. Um, and they were like, great, we're going to Auckland. And like all the Aussies just lost their shit. Like for the same group of people that was like, ah, just fly over. It'll be great. We're like, absolutely not. Like that only is the advice when I don't have to do it. So <laughs> It was uh, it, it was definitely a time. Um, it is slated to be in, in Picton, which is near Sydney. So hopefully everything just sort of sort of goes. At this point, I'm like cautiously optimistic. 
Is anyone jumping out there right now? Yeah, so um, Australia has a lot of clubs. Like in contrast to to the US, like Skydive Oz, I don't know how much you know about the skydive, skydiving scene in Australia, but Skydive Oz is... Act uh, like we know nothing. Great. I honestly know very little as well. I'm just <laughs> regurgitating stuff I've heard. Uh, but Skydive Oz is like a pretty big conglomerate that's being sort of gradually sort of buying out um, a lot of the big drop zones. So there is sort of like one entity that owns a lot of skydiving in Australia. But there's a pretty good club scene out there. So there's like a bunch of literal actual clubs that are like a co-op basically and they like own a 182 and they pay someone to fly it and like that they're just sort of like a non-profit drop zone i guess um and so from what i've seen i think a lot of the clubs are still jumping because they're not like a business per se they're like literally a sporting club like they're sort of able to operate privately um but i I think like commercial jumping is still not really on the books from what i've seen Um, just open back up Oh, did I, I've gotten some emails recently from some buddies. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, in the last um, week I've gotten a couple of pings saying that we're getting to jump again. We're getting back in the air again. Um, so I, from my understanding, there were parts of Australia until very, very recently that you can go more than five kilometers from your house. And that recently opened up and, and now it's, so it's beyond even in the restriction of business. It's beyond how are they going to know if you're, well, I guess they pull you over and your driver's license is more than five kilometers from where you're at. Yeah, no, I mean, like, it's <laughs> definitely, I mean, part, part of the reason for canceling CP Nationals was there was, I think, back then in 2020, there was a, a restriction on interstate travel, like, you could move mm-hmm. pretty freely, but they didn't want people transiting states, so they tried to do kind of the thing that uh, Scott of Chicago did with remote nationals, where they kind of did, like, a nationals per state, and then just sort of pulled the results and handed out medals. Obviously, that doesn't go so good for CP, right? Like, I would not be stoked when some people were competing 5,000 feet higher in a tailwind, but um, that at least let him get most of the free fall events done. Um, but yeah, I, it sounds like you know more about it than I do. I, I sort of, I have enough Aussie mates that I like try and kind of keep across it, but last I heard everything was locked down. So that's good news. I heard from Blair Smith. What a good cunt. Dude. Uh, Blair is a fellow who visited Spaceland for a year on the unlimited jump oh. package. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I talked and about him today. I got to send someone uh, a video of Blair Smith killing it on the jump package. Dude, he, he is one of the best things Spaceland's ever had come through there. And I, I don't mean that as a skill of a skydiver, though. He's very talented. He's just a blessed human being. He's just one of those dudes. I think I think someone was actually telling me about Blair while I was at Eloy. I'm I, sure, dude. He's I, one of the best. He's Tommy Miller status human being. Oh, hell yeah. So he, uh, he competed with Tommy Miller in the tunnel in some stupid bounce off the wall contest. God, I love Tommy. I'm so happy he's going to be here this weekend. Dude, me too. So like... <laughs> The, the backstory with Tommy is like he, uh, when I was selling my Slayer that I had, you know, years ago, Tommy was like, I heard you're selling a Slayer. Like, can I buy it? And I was like, no, like it's already gone. But like, I'll, I might know someone else selling one. So we sort of knew each other from there. And then like we shot a couple messages. Um, and then my girlfriend invited me down to, to Oceanside to fly in the tunnel or to hang out with her. But she's <laughs> like, well, I'm competing at VFS in the tunnel. Do you want to fly? And I'm like, sure. I've flown like half an hour in the last 18 months and I wasn't good then. So like what could possibly go wrong? So I show up and they're like, yay, like maybe have a teammate. But then there was an emergency. My teammate couldn't make it. And then this dude comes up to me and he's like, hey, I'm Tommy. Like I'm going to fly with you. I don't even know what the dude looks like. Like I just sent him some Facebook messages. So we like start walking some stuff and he's, I think, realizing how much trouble he's in because of the bad questions that I'm asking. And then I'm like, wait a second. Like you, are you Tommy Miller? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh man, we're going to fly. Like we're going to do something I'm good at in a couple of weeks. Anyway, good luck. Um, but then we, <laughs> okay. we got in there and we sent it so hard. Like everyone else is like turning points on the net and just like 
just sort of being good at tunnel flying and we're like smashing into each other we're bouncing off the walls we're using the whole tunnel like we like just kept trying to turn points while we cocked like we just leaned into it uh we got second (laughs) it was great i learned nothing man he is of all the things that happened this weekend he's one of my favorite things that's going to happen t and tommy is going to be a good time yeah, me too. I like I met him at that tunnel thing, and then I was uh, I was at a, a boogie. My girlfriend was uh, organizing it at Elsinore, so I got to hang out with him a little bit down there. And I'm like excited that I have more Tommy Miller in my life now. Yeah, I uh, man, this so you're in town for to, to help everybody out a little bit for an XRW event we're having. We're gonna talk a bit about the XRW event, but man, I uh, and all the excitement this weekend and all the getting ready, I keep forgetting Tommy Miller's in town. And I, I've, every time I've, I've thought of it, I've acknowledged, well, I'll get to that when Tommy Miller shows up. Hey, Nick, Tommy Miller's in town. So, When's he showing up? Um, I don't know if he'll be on the drop zone tomorrow or not, but I'm pretty sure he either arrived today or tomorrow morning. So Tommy's around. It'll be good to see him. It'll be good to hang out with him. Um, we've got you. Uh, Tommy's a participant, that, and that's really cool because Tommy's a fucking badass shredder, and it's always cool watching people grow and work outside of what they know and be open to more coaching. But we have an XRW camp. Uh, DQ is kind of leading the charge. I'm just doing the email and paperwork behind the scenes for him. Uh, but DQ is doing an XRW camp with you, mm-hmm. Stephen Megason, and Anthony Kimball as the coaches. Yeah. Um, we've Dude, Texas has such a dope and especially Dallas XRW scene. What they've been doing has been really phenomenal. Uh, there's a lot of this core talent, and we have a lot of future talent. And uh, DQ really wanted to like bring everybody together, and uh, it's it's just great, man. I'm excited to see you. I'm excited for this event. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm super excited too. Obviously, I was like super stoked when you know I got the message, basically being like, hey, we're, you know, we're putting on this event. Like, do you, do you want to come and be a part of it? Um, you know, I'm I'm super amped to see what we're gonna come up with this week. Like, obviously, it's not the first XRW camp I've ever done, but it is sort of the first camp I've done that's sort of structured this way. So I'm I'm like really excited to see where this goes. I guess. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting because it's such a unique uh, niche and new discipline. Mm-hmm. A lot of structure isn't there, and our biggest goal is to introduce structure to our community. Other people have done it. Scott Lazarus is doing a good job of putting structure out there. A lot of people, uh, Shredfest, are doing things like this. But in our local Texas community, we wanted to offer structure. Part of it is, in Nick's case, as a DZ manager, these people need to know how to communicate with DZ management and what expectations they can have from a DZ and support and what expectations are unrealistic because they they should have the right to do skydives, but they also should not get in the way doing it. They shouldn't be a problem doing it, and they should have help being able to put it together safely. And so it's really a camp designed to teach people to do these things and ultimately to build major shredder things. You don't know this, Nick, but part of our goal is I think you might know this. We have so many other events behind this that we're building to and looking for, but we have to prove we can do it safely, productively, without impacting everything. We, we, we can't be in the way. We just need to be another component of the DZ. And we're excited to, I think the four coaches, you guys are going to crush it. Yeah, I mean, we, we have a bunch of, I mean, we have really good talent on the coaching bench. Um, also, just, you know, we're uh, DJ and I were actually skimming the participant list um, just before this and, and kind of like, sort of you know thinking about what the plan looks like there and i'm sort of individually excited to fly with everyone at least everyone that i know on the participant list so like i think we're gonna have a good event i i for sure like i i think that underlying thing of like introducing sort of structure and and like expectation setting is huge like i won't name names but i went to a drop zone a couple years ago um i was going with someone who was participating in a camp that like 
was a free fly thing that I really wasn't qualified to be a part of. I was like, great, I'll bring a tiny parachute. Drop zones have wingsuiters. Like someone will want to fly with me, right? Which seemed outright reasonable. Um, and then like some wingsuiters showed up. I was like, awesome. Like two hours of screwing around later. Like finally they're like, oh, you want to do XW? Like you can't do that here. Which like, sure. I mean, A, it's their drop zone. They can run it however they want. Um, but you know, it would have been good to know that, you know, before the two hours of, of wasted effort in like trying to get through briefings and, and get on a load and whatnot. But also it was just frustrating because I was like, look, they're, they're, when I probed a little about why they didn't want us to do it there, it was this sort of like, I think flawed belief that it was like so innately dangerous that like some horrible incident was like inevitable like that day if, if we went out and did it. Um, and so like I, I think spreading this knowledge to other people so that they can get out and kind of like know how to do this like safely and accurately and, and sort of in a way that doesn't impact the rest of the drop zone is huge. But also like, just getting on towards like standardizing on like how we do this, right? Like most drop zones have like figured out like where they want movement groups, right? And I, I think like eventually we'll sort of have the same thing where it's just like, cool, like this is how XW groups like fit into the grander operation of the drop zone. Um, and hopefully we'll just sort of have like some standard operating procedures for it. Is that what you mean when you say structured like this camp? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a bit of both, right? I mean, I think separately... You, you know, some of this is just like the structure of the camp in that like this is how we're kind of like managing the coach participant relationship. But some of it is like making sure that we've interacted with the drop zone and like set expectations around like what do we want to do with jump run? Like how do we interact with other loads and other passes, right? Like I think it's not none of this is like unattainable, but there are some like valuable conversations that you do want to have with like someone from the drop zone before you just like get on an XW load and see what happens. So... Uh, my, like, I believe that you guys have the skill set and the knowledge to do what you're trying to do safely. Uh, what would you say to a drop zone manager, things that uh, that person should be aware of once this cool event sparks interest in people without the, the skill set and knowledge base that you have, and they're going to continue to do it without the guidance of somebody like you? Yeah, <laughs> great question. Um, I, mean, I, think, I think you sort of hit the nail on the head with the last part, right? I mean, you, you want to involve someone who's like, done this before. And, and it's tricky because I get, you know, I do get messages from people who are like, hey, you know, there's this guy at my drop zone. He has like a 71 velo and a can-do attitude and a willingness to send it and a big old bag of lead shot. And I have like an ATC and we're trying to figure out how to do XW. Like any tips? And I'm like, Jesus, like I want to help you. I don't, I don't want to tell you to not do this. But I'm also like, man, like an adult in the room would be good, right? And so like I, I think to some extent, I mean, my advice is if you possibly can, I mean, find someone who's done this before and let them guide you. You really don't want to do this by Facebook messenger is the, is the reality. Um, so, you know, I mean, maybe the advice is ship someone in and like, it doesn't have to be me. That's not like a plug to say, like I'm the only person who can do this, but for sure getting someone with, with some practical experience, I think is the best possible thing you can do because that uh, there are challenges, but they're all like eminently solvable. Um, you know, I know it's fine. I, I, I come from a different perspective and my perspective is, is I can spell XRW and that's all I know. Um, but I've been pretty involved with the background of this event. So I've been learning a lot, man, listening to the coaches talk about, we, we have an open forum and I commonly will present a topic and these guys will go back and forth with their thoughts on where it should be, what's going on. We've done some phone calls and, and I've learned a lot and I would tell a DZ manager, and, and for you, I'll give you an easy thing to bounce it off of because you have this in your life, is have an expectation of them as you would of an angled movement group. If they can come to you with a good plan, 
a, a good format and a, a good plan, flight plan, a good plan execution, a good plan structure, then chances are you should be able to work with them as long as you believe in their skill set. Um, one of the things that you don't know about this yet, tomorrow, tomorrow's meeting we have, is we're going to be using the movement flight planners we have at Spaceland for all our XRW groups. We're going to make sure that they understand how to use these, how to execute these. So if somebody goes to their home drop zone, we're going to be teaching them, hey, you should or shouldn't be asking for these things. And we're going to be talking to them individually. Nick, you're doing great here. You're killing it. But right now you need to be in a structured environment. Go home and practice these things in a wingsuit environment that will get you back to another camp so we can get you at home doing it yourself. We want to send them home with those right expectations and then the ability to communicate with a DZ manager. You know, you've talked to enough new jumpers. When they walk up to you and you talk to them, you usually go like, I feel comfortable with letting you try or like <laughs> is the other thought, right? Yeah. Actually, I mean, that, I guess that head, yes. sort of prompted like a, a more specific example, right? Yeah. Which is one of the things that comes up all the time, especially when, when people have approached me about doing this at Boogies is they're like, well, we can't do high pulls because we have more than one plane running, right? And like, sure. But like, if, if you think about it, you know, the, the canopy pilot is really just a wingsuiter is not going to pull. Right. Like the rest of I mean, yeah, we're flying slow ish at wingsuit speeds. But the reality is that like we're still flying at wingsuit speeds. And then when the wingsuits all pull, like I speed up because that's my time to party, you know, like so, you know, so it's some of those like just misconceptions. Right. Like they're like we're not stoked about high pulls and there's like reasons that you should be concerned about us doing it a boogie. But like because we're going to spend too much time in the air is like probably not one of them. Um, so, you know, I, I think it is just a case of like making sure that we like talk through this stuff and i think the output of, of this event is going to be like a, a much better like briefing that we have to, to give to a drop zone manager to be like great like this is it like this is the two pager that sort of articulates what we want and what we need and like how we're going to make this work is there a, a common thing you find yourself starting with when you have these conversations and you you show up at a new place i think it varies like it, it it's because the because the discipline itself is not that new anymore right it, it's not like we're the very first people to puzzle this out but compared to the rest of skydiving sure this is sort of the the most recent thing that i think people have gotten really stoked about right and so it you know some people are coming from a place of like i really don't want you to do this but maybe you can talk me into it and some people are like i just want to see this happen like i literally just want to see a video of a canopy pilot touching a wingsuiter take the airplane do whatever you want like i just i just want to see it happen right and so i think that context varies pretty widely but i mean i think probably the most common thing is the spot right because it costs money to fly airplanes and if you want to drop one group three miles from all the other people like it, it you know it's time and fuel to get us there so i i would say that's probably like the most common place that we end up like having to have a discussion about and what's the solution the most drop zones come to come to for uh, getting you guys that spot on let's say an airplane <laughs> where you know maybe there's five of you and a, and a full otter yeah and so it varies like some sometimes it's literally a negotiation it'll be like i would like three miles and they're like you can have one and a half and i'm like great i will take one and a half right and then like we just have to adjust our flight plan accordingly right instead of booking it straight home we have to do a big curvy thing and if you're the only group like that's fine doesn't doesn't matter there's nothing to conflict with um at the point where there's multiple groups well now you sort of don't really have the option to do that because you introduce this collision risk but it's also well now like we have so many people that getting a pass out for you know half the plane or a whole plane is sort of less controversial. And so I, I don't think there's like a, a unified solution there. I mean, I'm really lucky. My home drop zone is like pretty stoked on this. Um, and we sort of have a, a pretty good sort of cadence worked out for like the winds aloft that we normally experience at home and just like 
a good way to make it work. Like our, our job zone owner is just super understanding. And like, if we want to get out two miles past, like just ask for it, you'll get it. Um, but like it, I think it is mostly a case of just figuring out like both what works for the drop zone, but also just coming from that place of like, well, here's what I want, but here's what I can make work. And there's probably some middle ground that's, that's going to shake out. All right. How many groups do you think you can put out in one, uh, full otter, let's say, because I can imagine how uh, angle groups, like movement groups, uh, split up our our space and split up the property, and can imagine how many groups could fit in, how much space those types of jumps could take up. Uh, h- how many groups do you think you can get out in, in one pass in one plane? So yeah, I mean, it, it again, it's gonna there. There's always I'm so happy we're having marks. this conversation. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I know why, like, why like do it a, like at the drop zone yeah, quietly when we can make the whole world easy. listen. Um, you know, I mean like three is easy and four is doable is probably the, the best thing I would say. Obviously with angle groups, you sort of get to, you just make your life a little bit easier because you, you, you just, you know, go both directions of jump run. And like, you know, if we do that on an XW load, like half the people will not be super stoked about where they end up. Um, but the flip side is because you have a canopy pilot and, and not someone like trying to make decisions at a much higher pace in free fall, you can be much more deliberate about like where you take your group. Right. And so like, we're, we try to be extremely disciplined about, you know, the canopy pilot is leading the group and like this is where you're going. Like you need to break off like on this vector pointed at this landmark and you basically get to choose your separation before you get on the plane, right? Because there's not too much variability of like, well, you know, we're flatter than we expected or steeper than we expected or, you know, the leader caulked, whatever. Like you, you get to be pretty disciplined about it. And, and so the good news is that we do get to like, our plans that we make on the ground are much more durable to like first contact with actual skydiving than some other disciplines. You just said the leader corked, right? Yeah. How does that happen in XRW? Oh, so I mean for, for XRW. Are we even talking about a wingsuiter or the canopy pilot? No, no. Sorry. I was kind of saying like, you know, your angle group, like, you know, oh, okay. someone like committed okay, to a, a really exciting head up exit and then everyone just left I on their backs. You. Okay. And, you know, now, now you're not moving as fast as you planned. Um, you know, I mean, the the leader caulking for an XLW group would for sure just be a spicy opening, right? Like that's <laughs> that's how that goes down. Have you? Uh, you were only a canopy pilot in the XRW world, is that right? Or do yeah. you have wingsuiting experience? I have like a tiny, like not enough wingsuiting experience to like count. Like I've I've like been on some XLW jumps in in a wingsuit, but I would not like describe myself as like a good wingsuit. You were there watching the show. You weren't you weren't putting it on. Yeah, I actually one one time and I'm not super proud of this, but I did wind up like getting a pretty good look at literally the lines on my own parachute, which is a super embarrassing way to die is like entangled in your own lines. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I have like a handful of wingsuit jumps that I'm primarily a canopy pilot for sure. So uh, were you a, a canopy pilot first then or like an aggressive canopy pilot before you ever ventured into the wingsuit world? Oh yeah, no. When when I had like three hundred jumps, I um I got very excited about swooping, and I just like stopped doing things other than hop and bops. Like I just started like grinding out hop and bops. I was, uh, as as everyone who was there for for this will attest to, you know, I was like on the wall path pretty good, and I I knew what I wanted so, to be doing. So your progression wasn't as conservative as you might recommend to someone else. No, I mean honestly, like on, for two reasons. Like one, it was just quick you know i was charging at it super hard and for context like i think the piece that sometimes people don't always see is like i would go out every weekend and i would do like 15 hop and bops a day both days and i wouldn't really fun jump with my friends i would just like smash them out right and you can progress faster if you're really putting in the work um but you know i mean the other part is like no matter how you no matter how you slice it like yeah i was going at it super hard right and like just by the numbers i was i was moving pretty quick when i didn't have like that many jumps um, but I, I knew I wanted to compete. I had like some pretty 
um, I, I had some like pretty strong aspirations for like where I wanted to be in terms of competition. Um, and so that was what drew me to, to canopy piloting and, and swooping. And then, you know, because I also was really lucky to come up with a drop zone where there's just a lot of high performance canopy pilots. Like when I went to my first swooping, swoop comp, I just assumed that like every drop zone had like five or six Petra pilots. Like I thought that was like the average. I just assumed they were all like that. And, you know, someone else in the beginner class was like, holy fuck, is that a Petra? Like I've never even seen one before. And I'm like, oh. I see. Right. And so because I was surrounded by like ninjas like Scott Robinson and Brian Brownlow and Hiley Shimoni and like, you know, a, a bunch of other like shredders at the drop zone. Um, I saw them doing XOW and I was sort of like, ooh, like how tall do you have to be to ride? Right. And so then then I was started taller like, than me, I bet <laughs> kind of doing the math on like, well, like at what point, you know, at what point can I strap a bunch of lead on and like maybe borrow a wing and, and sort of get started in that. Um, but, but for sure it was like primarily like competitive aspiration. Um, when you imagine canopy competition, like what did you see? Are you thinking about going, going far, going fast, doing tricks? What do you see? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've been primarily stoked on like performance wing sitting. We, uh, sorry, performance wing sitting, like performance canopy piloting, right? So like speed, distance, accuracy, like the, the classic, like canopy piloting. I sort of recently got excited about freestyle. We have like the cutest little pond that could at Skydive California. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's like, a good looking pond though, dude, right? It's great. And it's like crystal clear. It's, yeah. That's what I've noticed in all the video and pictures I've seen. It's super clear. It looks really clean, dude. It's awesome. It's got a logo on the bottom. Like it looks sweet. Like it's not big enough to crash in. Like it's, it's good enough to be good at swooping. It's just, on. it's, it's, it's everything but it. wide, right? Yeah, exactly. It's super long. Um, like going dirt water dirt on it, a headwind is tough. I mean, it's not like the Houston pond long where like going dirt water dirt in literally any condition is like pretty committed. Um, but no, I mean, it's like, it's a good pond. I love swooping it. Um, since we got that, I have got sort of like more excited about freestyle. Like now I'm like, Ooh, maybe I'll try and learn a couple of tricks, but no, from, from the outside, I was like really just grinding it at, at trying to go really fast, go really far. You know, the irony was not having a pond at home, like getting good at accuracy was like hard. And that's the hardest event. Like the other two, honestly, if you get going really fast and make gate one, like and it'll probably figure itself out, you know, <laughs> but like accuracy is difficult. Like competitions are won and lost in accuracy. And then like the standings move a little bit in the power events. Do you feel like, uh, man, we had a number of friends uh, get hurt uh, doing accuracy, back injuries. Do you feel like uh, there's a good solution to uh, the way that they structure the rules or the scoring to try and keep people from pounding in that way for the points? You know, it's a good question. And, you know, for, for anyone who doesn't know, like I'm the proud owner of, of two compression wedge fractures in my back, you know, from from trying to make it work in downwind accuracy. I did not know that when I posed the question. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not shy about talking about it. Like you, if, if you do the bad thing, you, you should own up to it. Um, you know, I mean, and to be clear, I mean, the the that back injury that I gave myself was 100 percent my fault like i did that to myself like at gate one i was like i think i can make this work and at gate four i was like yeah i can make this work and then as i shot like 30 feet up in the air i was like "Ooh, shouldn't have done that i'm just i'm <laughs> realizing as we're talking about this we have a lot of newer skydivers yeah, yeah, sorry. To the so, show that maybe we can break down um, totally so so for anyone who's not aware um zone accuracy is is a discipline in uh swoop comp where there's an entry gate, which is like 40 meters back into the pond. I should know the exact dimensions because I've been doing this for a while, but call it 40 meters back. So then there's four water gates, right? And so to pick up all of the water points, which is half of the possible score, you need to drag your foot through all of them. So mechanically, you basically need to drag your foot through 40 meters of water. And then 35 meters back from that, there's a box, which is one meter by one meter. So 3.3 feet, no, nine feet, whatever. 
American is hard. 3.3 feet. You're pretty yeah. close. Yeah. There we go. Um, you know, by 3.3 feet. So it's not big. It's like your, it's your standing shoulder width, right? Um, and if you want all the points, you need to pop up and stop in that box without touching the ground with anything other than your feet. And it's difficult. Um, where it gets rowdy is in a downwind, right? Because when you have the wind stopping you, you have a lot more control over where you're going to stop. It's very difficult to accidentally like catapult yourself really high in the air. In a tailwind, that's typically where the injuries happen. Um, you know, I'm not looking to throw any specific drop zone under the bus for like specific incidents. Um, but you know, I was at a World Cup recently where we we're competing in the ragged edge of the limit. There is a wind limit, right? So if the if the wind speed exceeds five meters per second, we're well, we are allowed to compete, but the scores won't count for anything, right? So there's can, not can much someone math me that into uh, miles an hour? eleven miles an hour. Okay, great. That's the one that I do know. Um, and so, you know, there, there is like a, a rule there sort of designed to, to both like make the standings fair as well as to like protect competitors. But like even at five miles, a second, uh, five meters a second, 11 miles an hour, whatever you want to call it, you know, it's it's fast. It, it's pretty scary. And that was pretty close to where we were at Midwest when I hurt myself. It used to be seven, which is 15 miles an hour, which they finally changed that because there, there was one world championship where like everyone wrecked themselves. Um, you know, I just got back from U.S. Nationals. We did happily. It wasn't very downwind. It was like slightly downwind, but like really not that bad accuracy, which was great. Love that for all of us. Um, and we were sort of as competitors talking again, like should the downwind limit be lower than that? <clears throat> Pardon me, headwind limit. It's a, I, I mean, I would be in favor of that rule, but like I think the devil's in the details, right? Like, what is a headwind? Like if the if the wind is a perfect crosswind and it's like blowing, you know, between. 179 and 181 degrees at four meters a second like does that mean we can jump can we not jump like i i think it's easy today because the rule is just a a a velocity right with no direction component so it's like easy for the judges to measure um you know i would be really supportive of a rule that that made it less gnarly in a downwind but i'm also like protective of not making the rules unnecessarily complex and making sure that we actually get to compete right like i mean we could make it no downwind but then a lot of time we wouldn't get to do accuracy and that's i don't think what anyone wants what's the limit for a headwind um so sorry for so as it stands today um the the rules just say for accuracy it's five meters a second 11 miles per hour in any direction Uh um i mean fun fact about the rules of accuracy in the other two events if the winds go over your run doesn't count you just have to take a rejump in accuracy, they tell you what your score was and you have 10 seconds to decide if you want to go again. 10 seconds? 10 seconds. <laughs> Man. I actually I have a great video of Pat Kessler at Nationals. I, I saw Mary Lou, the chief judge, walk up to him and I like discreetly turned on my GoPro and went full stalker mode and, and got him like having something of a crisis about whether or not he was going to have another go. So I'm, I'll post that in the next couple of days. Um, for the power events, it's 7 meters a second or... Um, 15 miles an hour and that's wind in any direction in any direction okay great so it's um, not like we could be going in 30 mile an hour winds just trying to make it out of the pond exactly okay um you know and and those rules are there for a reason you know i mean they changed that the accuracy limit for a good reason like that that was a pretty gnarly event um the limits are also lower for the advanced class i guess i could have touched on that as well so if you're competing in advanced it's five meters a second for everything at nationals um, and FLCPA, I think it's uh, the same for open and advanced, but lower and beginner. Is there a difference in the way the gates work in the different classes? Yeah. And so this is where, I mean, we can spend as much or as little time talking about the rules. It, it's I, complicated I, and it's, it's split between two classes. I'm, I love talking. I'll do this all night. Right. Like this and airplanes, I'll talk about literally forever. But um, so for, for open, the gates are all 
five feet high um, and you have to pass through all of them. So for speed, there's five gates. So speed is a, a 70 meter carve. Um, and so you know, basically I think it crosses through a 70 degree arc as well, if that helps the listeners picture it in their mind's eye, which I'm sure it will. Um, right. But so advanced, the entry gate is 10 feet tall. So it's twice as high. Um, and you don't need to pass through any of the interior gates. You only need to make the exit one. So it's way more forgiving. Um, same deal for distance. Um, for open, the entry gate is five feet tall, but you also have to touch the water at or before it, right? So you're going, mock Jesus. You need to contact <laughs> the water, stay low through another gate that's 50 meters away, and then you can climb. Mock Jesus? Yeah, it's a that's, very specific great, speed. Dude. Attainable only with the finest of parachutes. Yeah, next time I get pulled over. Yeah, that's... I had to do a mock Jesus down 288. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, where were, oh yeah. So, so like taller entry gates for, for everything. And then in the advanced class, I think at nationals, the advanced class has the same rules for accuracy, but in FLCPA, the beginners don't have to drag any water for accuracy either. So like being within five feet of the surface of the water for them is semantically equivalent to the open class dragging it. Um, and again, it's some of this is, is just a safety thing, right? Like not forcing them to drag water, going as fast as they can forces people to, to put themselves in, you know, they don't have to be in the corner, but also makes it more doable, right? Like getting through a 10 foot gate and then to the bank so that you don't go swimming in a bit of a headwind is much, much more attainable than dragging the water out of before, right? Like you can realistically roll out like way closer to the shore. How many times have you had to swim and or walk out of a, shockingly few honestly like uh i think up until we got the pond at tracy i can only think of one time i'd been swimming it was actually it was my second swoop comp ever the winds were very close to limits for the whole mate uh you get three points for just passing through the entry gate and they can't take him away from you You, once you go through the entry gate you get three points no matter what happens and so i was watching the other people in the beginner class all like choosing to not run the pond because they were like they didn't want to get wet and it was like beautiful I'm going to go through that entry gate. I'm going to get three points. I'm going to win. Like I'm going to tie with anyone else dumb enough to go through the entry gate. That's, like, a, that's a good strategy. That's yeah, a great place no, to start. No, I was stoked on it. Um, and so I came through gate one and then I stopped at gate two, which is like 10 meters further forward. And there's this beautiful photo of me uh, kiting a Katana 107 in the pond at Sebastian, which I included in the ad for that parachute. I was like never wet. And I just had a picture of me like kiting in the middle of a pond. Um, and so I, I feel like that was the only time I got wet for like, quite a while and then we got the pond at tracy and i sort of embraced like just going swimming sometimes it's like a good thing to do and definitely a better alternative to getting hurt it's actually like one of the things that i spend a lot of time banging on about when i'm talking to new swoopers is like dude getting your gear wet is so much better than hurting yourself trying to get out of the pond like yeah you know i never really thought about the water as uh you know the, the foam pit for swooping I, ne- I never thought about it that way because i'm terrified of water so water's always like it's been this scarier element to me to to you know not not be able to swim with my rig on. Our swoop pond's also deeper than he is tall. That's not true. I've walked out of it. <laughs> it's only a couple feet. It was more like a bob, but you know, hey, you, you got out of there. Who's Bob? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, like, dude, banks are. If you hit a bank going fast, like you will hurt yourself. It's like pretty much inevitable. And so I'm like pretty deliberate with people. I mean, you know, if you can get out, like get out. Like no one wants. Actually, that's not true. Everyone at Skydive Midwest fucking loves going swimming. I've never met a group of people in my whole life more excited about just getting in the pond for no reason. Like I was out there recently for a swoop comp um, and like sunset load. Everyone just set up like super deep. Like 
I think one of them was worried he wouldn't make it to the pond. But like none of them wanted to make it out. So they all set up like deep as hell. Like all of them crashed somewhere around gate one. They all dragged their soaking wet gear. And it's like sunset load as well. So you can't even like get on another load to try it out. And they were having the, the time of their lives. And I love, I think that's like the healthiest attitude imaginable. Didn't they start calling themselves like the, the swim club yeah, or something? The like the Midwest Swim Club. Club. Oh, that's, and that's, that's commitment right there. They have like, like a point. They have a leaderboard as well. Do they really? Yeah. Like, I think, I forget how it works. I think it's like five points if your body goes in the water, but your canopy makes it out. And it's like 15 or something if, you, if your canopy goes in as well. Dude, that is so sick that they have a whole point system just based off of like, you know, getting wet. It's awesome. Like I, I genuinely like love that. Like I, I think culturally that's awesome. I got to see a, a really gnarly accident a while ago also at Sebastian at a different meet where someone really wanted to get out and made some bad choices and basically his whole body left the pond except for the lower half of his right leg. Oh, and he oh, tore like that's rough. all the connective tissue. It was horrible. And like I think if you gave him the chance to go back 20 seconds in time and be like, do you want to get in an ambulance in 45 minutes or dry out your gear in 45? Like I think probably pick you know drying his stuff out and, and so that is one of the hills that i'm like really willing to die on is like dude sometimes just getting really wet's the right choice and honestly set up like, deep set up deep every i mean you will make everyone on the drop zone like so happy you there is not a happier group of people in the whole world than people who just watch the swoop and not make it out like it's just <laughs> the greatest not. thing ever there's um, not especially are, if you scared an alligator on your approach exactly <sighs> I don't think there are any gators in the pond right now, are there? I haven't seen any recently. So, they have to be out there, though. I, I, I mean, I, it's getting colder, though, so they don't usually hang out as much this time of year. I got in a big argument, actually, at Midwest as well, about whether or not there are, there are alligators in the in the uh, Houston pond. Occasionally, there are 100%. Yeah, yeah, I may yeah. have just fucking gaslit Absolutely. this woman for Dude. no reason, because I was very, <laughs> very deliberate about being like, no way, no how. She's like, hey, video. I'm like, great, let me see it. And then she couldn't find it. I was like, mm. I 100% have drone footage of alligators swimming in the pond. Can you pull it up now, though? Because if not, it doesn't. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really not hearing much. Dude, of you know what? It. I, I bet you. Show the people. I bet you I can find a video of Tex swooping one. Swooping an alligator. Yeah, I was well, going to say there's, there's a be video of Tex. Shannon it. McCarthy, oh, man, if you're listening, like, I will concede that maybe there may have been one. It, isn't there a, isn't that on one of your edited videos? I feel like I have an opening <laughs> drone shot of a, of a gator swimming out of the pond. Yeah. I can see if I can find it. Would it be on uh, one of your pages or something? I don't know. I don't Some even know what video Some of the gators have been named. Oh, boy. No, yeah, no, there is... A long time ago, we had a swoop ditch mm-hmm. and a pond that was a detention pond because you have to like dig a hole in the ground in Texas if you build so much property uh-huh. uh, to displace the water. And All right, you got this? Oh, shit, I just lost it. <laughs> oh, hey, this but is, yes, but yes. It's elusive. These excuses are just getting more Here and more go. feeble. <laughs> the footage is getting more oh, and more yeah. elusive. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, oh, okay, technically, that's It not, just it, ran into the pond. It's not in there. the pond. It's next to the pond. <laughs> <laughs> there are gators near the pond. All right, in All right well, Shannon, if you're listening, there is at least one. I'll give you that. <laughs> Yeah, wait. There's we. There is a uh, state park nearby, and I say very nearby. It's a couple miles probably, and it's full of gators. You're walking through the state park. If you, my wife and I took our bikes off the main path, just on side paths, and almost ran over an alligator. Like it, seriously, within a couple. It's like holy shit. Well, that's exciting. Hell, like I'm back on the main track. I'm cool not getting. So wait, sorry. Is this like close to to where we are now, or close to the drop the drop zone? Because you would think this would motivate Winxer just to like land on the drop zone more. Surely, no, like, no. I mean, you would think. 
We're not talking about the brightest group of people. <laughs> you know, they tend to land towards the opposite side of the swamp. God bless them. <laughs> yeah, they do fly away from the swamp. They are they are that smart. I mean, they're being led by a guy named Anthony Kimball. Oh, so Jesus. they're off well, on a wayward point. There's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> so I've noticed it's the theirs, yours, fours. It's anything any, with a hard R. Yeah. Ending in R, though. Yeah. yeah. And it's not anything. In, it's, it's got to kind of have the or to it that... He turns American. Ever since you've talked about it, every time he says something that way, I'm like, oh, no, dude, I know. I mean, I literally, the light inside me goes out just a little more every time I do it. A little more. <laughs> a little more. It's, yeah, that's sounding good. That's yeah, sounding super American. Is it deliberate? Like, do you do you think about it every time it happens? No. So literally what happened was like... It, I like that we're already back to making fun know, of the way is, you talk. I'm great. sorry. I'm so <laughs> stoked on it. it. It really was Americans not understanding what I was saying. And it, it does frustrate me because a lot of times I feel like from context that like if I'm pointing and ma- and saying a word that sounds a bit like that, there's a good chance that these, you know, they're somehow related. So I'm going to explain. uh, We have a buddy, uh, Blair Hamley, who's from New Zealand. Uh And I did not know that Blair was from New Zealand. And he's a pretty, before you get to know him, he's a pretty quiet guy. Doesn't Mm -hmm. doesn't say very much. And uh, I met him at a a big way event, like uh, the Live Bigs event that had come to Spaceland. And I said, hey, my name's Nick. What's your name? And he said, Blair. (laughs) And I did not know that he had an accent. So I heard Blair, <laughs> like B L E H. That's what I heard. Yeah, and I was like Blair. <laughs> and he said, "Yep," and no other words. So I just couldn't put his accent into context. So it's like, hey, if if I know that you're Australian or from wherever, and I can put your accent into context, that's a lot easier. But yeah, if if this person who who you were saying there to didn't know you were Australian and you just came out with a there. So like, I mean, the, that's a mo- lot more of a noise than a word. I mean, I'll tell you the one that, that really murders me every time is people struggle with my name, which whatever I get it. Richo is not a common name. Most people have never heard it before, but sometimes I'll spell it and people will read back to me a name that has more letters than that <laughs> for people really want to call me rich on, which first of all, I'm like rich on like I think R-I-C-H-O-R-N. Which, first of all, <laughs> who the, the fuck, fuck would name their kid Rich? <laughs> like, that's my first question is, why would you do that to a child? Uh, Rich Horn. But my second question is, like, when I spell my name, because the way I say O also catches people out, which is just shitty. Uh, but so, like, when I spell five letters, the name you try should also have five letters. In it. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's just my theory on the world. Um, Rich Orn? <laughs> yeah, seriously. That sounds like, like a rapper who's obsessed with the rhinoceros. <laughs> 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 well, you know, if this skydiving Rich thing doesn't work Orn, out Rich for Orn. me, maybe that's like... Yeah, dude, you got to get a gold thing. chain. <laughs> that's the rap Some rhinoceros ivory or whatever you'd call it. Yeah, perfect. I'm going to stick that in the back pocket just <laughs> right. just in case. Well, I mean, just make sure you give me a shout out when your rap career Well, yeah, up. clearly. The whole the whole back of my first album is going to be dedicated dude, to can you. I be your hype man? Oh, dude, do you want to? I would be so excited. You'd be so good at it. I'd be a good hype man. Yeah. You can make a good rap video. Oh, uh, yeah. It's been rumored. Dude, you've got to see this latest video Nick made. I I, I loved it. Thanks, Thank man. you. That was fun. Um, dude, oh my God. <laughs> I was lost. Uh, the film festival just happened. The that film festival did happen. Yeah. That was a super good time. I'm still debating whether or not the video is uh, of... Uh, if it's appropriate enough for the internet. Oh, boy. I get that. I, yeah, I, yeah. I don't want to... You know, we can talk about what it is. I decided I was going to be the. I wrote my own lyrics to a rap song and I rapped it to the camera and I, I made a hip hop music video. That's it's fucking 
Well, I was I was just going to say, like, dude, I don't know if you know this, but there's some pretty weird shit on the internet. Like, do well, you really think you're going to make the top 10? No, no. I mean, just, uh, <laughs> two I, girls, one cup. I would really only worry about what a few people would, would uh, think and say about a very small group. But, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tribute to a good buddy, and it's just, it's just fun. I had a lot of fun making it. I had a lot of fun involving my friends in it. And so it's something that I feel like I, I just want to share it with the world because it was so much fun for me. So I'm just like, and I don't say anything in the song that's even close to as bad as the stuff that we say on most podcasts. Gotcha. But it's like, hey, it, it's not just the podcast when, you know, Skydive Spaceland hosts it and Option Studio sponsors it. And it's like, I, I don't want anyone to feel like they've put their name on anything that uh, is incriminating or off-putting in any way well it's, there is only one way to find out it, yeah and i and i i'm trying to sit on it for a few weeks and let my excitement of having finished and shown the video like just let that settle down mm-hmm. and then just take a you know a nice sober look at it and make a full assessment of whether or not this is something the world needs to see or not <laughs> so right now i'm just sitting on it so i i have one real request can i have a link I mean, the second we're oh done here, God. I need to see this video. Like, it's, I, I it's good. need to see it. Yeah, it's it's really nothing horrible. The way he describes what he's saying, I get his those those limitations, but it's really nothing excessive. But it is a lot of fun. It is purely skydiving related. Um, it it's uh, we all laughed. It was it was a good time. I feel like I need to subtitle the lyrics or at least include the lyrics. I think that would help for sure because there's a lot. Like I saw it multiple times as you were editing it and I was still picking up on things that I didn't catch the first couple of times just because, you know, something looks cool. So you're focusing more visually than you are on listening to the lyrics. So I think that would help out a lot when it comes to just like catching the the little uh, tweaks that you made to the song. I'm going to send it to you, DJ, on, on Facebook Messenger and then we can fire it up on the on the screen over there when we're done. Brilliant. What? <laughs> You said when we're when done. We're right? done. When we're done. I was like, I thought you meant live. I was yeah. like, dude, if you tell me, I'll throw it up there. Let's I fucking mean, do this. But then it's up forever. It, it'll be it's like a, I'll, we can but, show like ten seconds I mean, of it. Parts little. of uh, yeah, I don't know. Let's not do that. I'm, right. I'm loving the conflict that's like brewing in him. This is what you get for picking on my accent. Serves <laughs> <laughs> you right. No, it's just what I get for trying to be responsible. It, it's uh man. Th- so forget the lyrics and the song and and all the everything. That was all great. The editing, the background behind you, just like yeah. he was his own hype man. The light was good. Dude, it was I bought, good. I bought, I spent $350 on a light just for that shot. <laughs> man, it was absolutely worth it because that lighting was sick. Dude, like, I've, it, I've, looked, it, was it looked dope. It was fabulous. rap video. It got like, oh, 100%. Yeah. 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 Do you know what a ring light is? Yeah. Yeah. I, I bought a really fancy ring light that you can check, you can sync it up with your with Ooh. your phone and adjust all sorts of stuff with it. Yeah. So I made it a really fun color and, uh, and I. Put my face really close to it and rapped really loudly. <laughs> he also uh, started an OnlyFans page. Oh, did they? <laughs> dude, mine got thrown out. Dude, I re- I didn't start one, but did you seriously? So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I'm so, yes. I'm yeah, so dude, happy that we that dude. we just sidestepped into this as a serious. Conversation. So here's the thing. Like I I mean I just I love taking a bit. And just running with it. Like, it's my favorite thing is to take some stupid joke and just, like, go full willfully let it get out of hand. So, like, me and a couple of my friends uh, from from my drop zone were, like, making a joke about making an OnlyFans for my feet. Right? For your feet? Yeah, specifically <laughs> Hold on, for let feet let me picks. see these things. No, and so this is the incredible yeah, thing. Yeah, those are all right. Well, I mean, they're like, fine, right? But I, 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 man, if you want to, you, can, you can pop those bad boys up a little bit for oh, the yeah. people at Here. home. 
Yeah, that's for, <laughs> for the record. You all owe me five bucks now. Man. Uh, but so, uh, and we like made these jokes. But I was like, I do actually want to do this. Like, I think this would be a funny thing to do. We should make an OnlyFans for my feet. Uh, so then Val and Whitney <laughs> take, took a bunch of pictures of my feet with like with portrait mode on like a good iPhone camera, and they show me the pictures, and I'm like, dang, those are good looking feet. I'd pay to look at those. <laughs> so now I'm like stoked on the idea. So I set up an OnlyFans and they threw it out because my legal name isn't like on any of my social media stuff. And I've been meaning to like jump through the hoops to get this thing like reinstated because I really do love a good bit. There, There's nothing in this world I love more than a bit gone horribly wrong. Wait, are they... Uh, they don't understand the name Rich Butts could be a foot fetish porn star? Yeah, no, it's weird. Yeah, it? it's, <laughs> like a, it's like a great right place. There. But like, because they have a thing for like uploading, you know, you have to give them like a bunch of stuff which whatever i get it like they're trying to be like a quote-unquote legitimate business and i like did all of that stuff as far as i understood they're like aggro that my my social media didn't have my legal name on it and i was like i don't I, I don't fully get it like i feel like i can't possibly be the only person like struggling with this but i'm gonna one of these days i'm gonna get around to it because i do have some like fucking great pictures of my feet that i think the world should have the right to see for a very reasonable price like i just i don't think i'm asking so much do you think there is a male foot like is that a thing? Well, so I can imagine just because dudes are turned on by weird and crazy stuff. Like I can imagine that men are attracted to feet. That makes sense. So but, okay. I just wonder if there's a, is there a market for that? I mean, That's I, my, that's a, the I bet there is. Uh, B the I mean from the outset of this I was like yeah we can make these look like lady feet like it's fine. like that was for sure the goal was to just like not oh, be specific and okay. like let people draw their own conclusions. That's, uh, that might even be funnier is I, if you if you if you set up all the photos to where it all looks like sexy ladies feet and then it scrolls to the last picture of a wide shot of you full body. Yeah, just like dick out like just, yeah, <laughs> just totally. like doing the whole thing. You need to do something about those feet they ain't very ladylike. Yeah, uh, no, I mean they're dude, also covered in like your cat hair. So I mean how how often do you paint the the toenails? Actually, I don't really i i do my fingernails like all the time um i actually i don't like manny's or petties for like the dumbest reason my toenails are so small it just doesn't feel like good value they're <laughs> so little are so small they're so little um so this I is like they're the re- totally reasonably sized I mean, yeah they're, you know they're, they're fine, fairly normal like, um this is like the remnants of a of a petty actually that i got with whitney who, who took the pictures of my my fate from my only fans Dude, they're all right if i cover up the rest of your body that's <laughs> <all right. laughs> okay well I mean, let me ask you this then. Like, I mean, how much would you pay for like, you know, a couple of good I mean, I don't really have a foot thing. Like, yeah, but I mean, just in a normal whatever, day. someone without a foot thing, like what, what would you cuff up? Uh, dude, you get, you get me for, I'll spend $5 on anything on the internet. See, that's, that was what I was going for. Cause one person I asked at the drop zone, I was like, what would you pay for these? And he's like, I don't know, 50 bucks. And I'm like 50 bucks. Like, fuck man. I will do a lot more than showing my feet for 50 bucks. Yeah, I bet you yeah, that guy makes <laughs> more money than me. No, but I was like, dude, I'll, I'll fucking actually make some like hashtag content for like, dude, I would do it for like a dollar a month just because I think that's, I just think it would be funny as shit to have people be like, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, well, I do like computer security stuff. Also, I take pictures of my feet and send how, it to sweaty men on the internet. Yeah, like, how great does, that, does that feel when you're doing your taxes at the end of the year and you got to claim your $9 from OnlyFans? <laughs> dude, you should do it. That's a, that's a that's another career that'll blossom after your rap career. Honestly, maybe this is what on my flight home, like I'm not gonna have anything to do. Maybe I'm gonna make the person in the seat next to me so uncomfortable <laughs> as I like <laughs> go through the machinery to like unlock my OnlyFans account, like, like right next to them. Like yes. I'll even point the laptop their way. How much would you pay for this one? Now, how much would you pay for that one? Get your credit card out, so <laughs> this is you've already looked. You owe me now. This ride's not free. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So you said ask you about airplanes. Oh yeah. Do so you fly them? I do fly them. Um, 
all so I know so many people who who you know got into flying whether it was like as a hobby I know a lot of TIs and riggers who recently have been like I can't do this anymore I'm going to go off and be a jump pilot um I had a knee surgery in 2018 and I was like on the ground and I was super miserable um and I was like I'm going to go take some flying lessons just to like get up in the air you know and so I I knocked out my private I was actually I told my instructor from the get go I was like dude when when I'm able to jump again I'm done like this is just a time killer I'm I'm not going to stick with this and then I was ready to start jumping and she's like dude you're like three weeks out from a check ride like get your private and then quit was, fair enough uh, but then I went and did some aerobatics and I was like this is the greatest thing ever so um, now I, I like mostly do aerobatics like all my friends are like instrument rated and like flying fast airplanes and like flying them well and like going places and doing stuff I do the same flight all the time I like take the airplane like five miles from where I started and I just kick the shit out of myself with J's and then I come back like half an hour later and I just lay on the couch for 15 minutes, like regaining my composure a little bit. And then I go and do it again. Well, I definitely know that one of your hip hop tracks is going to be about all your G's. Oh, yeah, dude. It <laughs> writes itself. See, best hype. But um, so how dangerous is acrobatic flying compared to I'm going to fly, you know, a short cross country flight? I don't even know how to answer that question. Because you know, I, I imagine, hey, if I'm flying my parachute doing some pretty crazy stuff up high. Like, hey, I'm up high. I got all this altitude on my side. Totally. And honestly, I mean, like, if nothing else, uh, pilots' expectations of reasonable altitude is really weird coming from skydiving. Like, because when, um, you know, when I started doing aerobatics, like, you have to wear parachutes, like, for, for legal reasons. Um, and, you know, but they'll be like, ah, we're above two grand. Like, it's fine. I'm like, that feels not high to me. <laughs> um, you know, I normally, I, I train around five grand just because there's no reason to be lower. And, you know, if things are going to go tits up, like, might as well have altitude on your side. Um, I did my first competition in April of this year and the competition box is from 1500 through 3,500 feet. Right. And so like feasibly things are going wrong, like not super far from the ground. And I also competed in the, the class with the box that's the highest up in the air, like the unlimited guys, their box is 328 feet, which is Jesus, basically the surface. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't really know how to answer the question of like, what's more dangerous, right? Because on the one hand, a lot of the things that kill GA pilots is like flying into bad weather and like, you know, making bad decisions at night. And like, we don't do that stuff as aerobatic pilots. Like the weather you take off in will almost certainly be pretty similar to the weather you land in. You're not really going far. You don't have to interact with other weather systems. A lot of times you're not flying over terrain. Like we, we eliminate a lot of risk by virtue of the fact that our flights are all super short, but we're also like stressing these airplanes, like pretty hard. Um, a lot of aerobatic airplanes are home built. like they're experimentals. And so you may not know a whole lot about who, built it or, or how good of a job they did you know so Jesus. dude i get scared enough borrowing someone else's rig that i saw them jump that week yeah i mean it, thinking about getting in an airplane that i that, dude, that it, someone it, built in, in some hangar that yeah no no it, yeah i don't want to do that it's crazy and in some ways like honestly an, an aerobatic competition or they call them contests which you know whatever same thing um runs very similar to a swoop comp like honestly when i went to my first contest i felt really at home because like logistically it felt very very similar to a swoop comp um, but like a lot of the community stuff is pretty similar. Like there, there's obviously like some threshold. Like I don't think people will just show up and let like literally anyone fly their airplanes. But when I got checked out in an extra, which is a very, in 1997, it was like the best airplane they made. Um, you know, Mark Polidu did my checkout. Like he was like, dude, at some point I'm going to, I'm not just teaching you how to fly this extra, but I'm kind of trying to teach you how to fly every extra. Cause people will just offer to let you fly their airplanes. I was like, seriously, like that seems insane, but like, okay. Um, and now having been around the community more, like I see it, like people will kind of be like, you know, if you know someone well enough and you're pretty sure they're not going to fucking break it and they'll be like, 
you want to go fly my laser? And people would be like, sure. Um, so yeah, it's, it's bananas, honestly. I really didn't think I had an interest in flying an airplane. Yeah. And then this is like, uh, gosh, maybe just over a month ago. Uh-huh. I went on a right seat ride in a formation load just to just to get the good view See of my, my buddies it. jumping out, you know. And uh, our uh, pilot Eric Boyd, when everyone was out, he just like he just gave a, a gesture towards the controls. Right, he took his hands off. He looked at me. He looked at the controls. He nodded his head, and I went okay, and just started pushing pushing the nose down and chasing. We were the trail plane, so mm-hmm. I'm just starting to. He keeps pointing out the lead plane, and I'm just chasing them to the ground. Dude, flying it, airplanes is pretty neat. It's pretty neat. If you're ever in California, come hit me up. We can go. Fuck There's only one rule. Do not puke in the airplane. <laughs> like that's the that's pretty much the only rule. Does it feel like do you do things that make you feel like you might throw up in your own airplane? Um, not really. I, I don't. I, I generally don't make myself feel like I might throw up. I feel very bad. Uh, is like, it, is, is it, the is only it, way to describe it? Is it from the change of directions? Is it just from just the, the pure G forces? It, it's mostly the G's. Um, also, like flying in summer was just I don't cope very well with the heat. Um, the extra that I've been mostly flying, I so I did my first. Um, I, I don't cope well with the heat. I don't feel good. Yeah, put me put me behind the stick of an airplane. Yeah, it's gonna be great. What could go wrong? <laughs> um, so I, I did my first contest in in my airplane, which is a Super Decathlon. I immediately broke it and had to tear it apart so it's like currently in pieces getting fixed because i did a bad thing um and so I've, I've been flying this extra for most of the year which has like a bubble canopy so like a greenhouse effects like really hard in there and for complicated reasons you can't open the canopy when the engine's running so you're stuck in there it's hot as balls um but some of some of what helps is a you like build up a tolerance to g-forces which is what i've currently been struggling with i've been traveling a bunch lately and i just haven't been flying so every time I'm home, I get out and I do like two or three flights just to try and stay current and, and try and keep my G tolerance up. But like, you know, I, I was whining a lot to my girlfriend the other day. Like I went out and flew and I got back and I was just like, wow, I feel shitty. Like I feel not very good and I didn't even fly that hard. Um, but one thing that helps is knowing what's going to happen. Right. And that's why when I take people flying as much as I can, I get them to do the flying. Like I'll, I'll coach them through it. I'll be like, cool, like follow me on the stick. Like this is how we're going to do it. But I, I get them to fly as much as I can. Because they, you know, if you're pulling on the stick, you like know when the G is going to come on. And no matter how communicative I am, and I try to be pretty good about being like, all right, here it comes and like coach them through how to how to cope with G's and let them know. But like when when you go from one G to seven G's like instantly, like, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't give me the briefing. We're going to do seven G's. What do you want me to know? Oh, yeah. So so basically the the trick with positive G's is you're trying to keep the blood in your brain, right? Like it's way easier to stay conscious if you still have blood in your brain, (laughs) right? (laughs) Fun fact. Uh, and, and so the, the way we accomplish that is by basically tensing everything up, starting with your calves, thighs, core. And, and basically by doing that, you like compress all your blood vessels and make it harder to push the blood out of your head. Right. <laughs> okay. And so like, so I'm, I'm using my body to squeeze blood into my brain. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so like how that's, this, that's how this sick. goes, that's pretty sick. Yeah. It's, it's great. So like we're, we're flying along in the extra, I sit behind you. So I'm like looking at the back of your head, like trying to see how purple it's going to be easy. Is. Yeah. It's going to be great. Uh, and, and so I'll basically be like, here it comes. And that's kind of your cue to like in order. It's like calves, thighs, core. And then it, it often helps to like heave and pant. You sound ridiculous. And like, I can hear it on the, in the Instagram, rain, which is yeah. great. So you'll be like, <laughs> and you know, you're mostly just trying to stay conscious, but it's, fucking great go to an acro ride it'll be awesome Come okay l- let's say that we're in the middle of this 7g turn mm-hmm. 
and we oh, both. So, oh, so normally this is like a vertical maneuver. Like mo- more than likely, we're not like in a turn. It's we're like going straight we're up. Yeah. Okay, great. We both go unconscious. Uh huh. What's the airplane gonna do? I actually don't know. Probably something exciting. <laughs> <laughs> but do we? Did the G's cease at that point? Yeah. So, so I mean, jokes aside, um, you know, for the, for the most part, I mean, the, the, I'm sure there are ways that you could do this that would be like extremely bad. There, there is nothing like an AED for for an airplane, which is a little bit weird to me. Like coming from skydiving, like I, I always sort of had this expectation that if I get knocked out, like something, you know, um, for the most part, yeah. When you release the stick forces, the G's are going to come off. You should kind of come to reasonably quickly. As you as you fly more, you get a better sense for like where your personal limits are. And honestly, I think like you know, having had some gnarly mal skydiving, like also gave me a taste of like how I cope under you know a lot of G's and stuff. But like I, I sort of have my own personal limits for like, well, this is you know, this is what my body does when we're getting close to the line, but I'm still solidly inside it. And this is the point at which I'm like, cool, like I need to stop because like maybe I am like losing my grip, you know. Do you, uh, man, I don't know if I want to ask you about your scariest moment in an airplane or your scariest uh, canopy malfunction. So you're just going to have to tell me both. So I've actually, I mean, I've had, I've only had two cutaways. And actually, I'm not going to tell you about the scariest one. I'm going to tell you about the funniest one. Okay, deal. Uh, do you know Nico Troncoso? I don't think so. Okay, for for most things on, you know, when we've been chatting, I'm like, I'm not going to name names because it's not important. Like, fuck Nico Troncoso. So great friend of mine. Like, I love him to bits. I was helping another friend. Uh, she got a canopy back from a reline and they didn't put the slider rings back on, but like it was on rises. And so she's like trying to make a load. So I'm like, cool, like I'll help you. It's no big deal. Nico, super helpfully. And I was jumping a velo at the time because my uh, my fluid wings were all like getting lines and it was like the wing I had in my locker. So I was like, great, whatever. I'll jump a velo for a weekend. Like it'll be fun. Actually, I think I went swimming a lot that week. So I was like, great, jumping a velocity. I'm just going to land in the pond on every single load. So Nico very helpfully bags my canopy for me to help get me on the load. So we get everything together. He only bagged it. He didn't even close it. And I'm like, cool, whatever. So I close the rig. Very luckily, this jumper, I was like, let's go do a two-way. And in like on the two-minute call, she's like, I just did a bunch of rigging. Let's do a hop and pop. Great, whatever. So I get out. I pitch. I have a slightly funky opening, but I'm like, eh, whatever. I look up and my, my RDS landing, because I jump a full RDS, is like through my lines, like through all of them. <laughs> And I'm like, how the fuck did you do that? But I'm like a problem solver and I open pretty high. So I'm like, well, I have one end of it. I'll just reel it in. So I'm like, I take my slider off. I'm like pulling on the lanyard. I'm like trying to get it in. And then my D bag like snags on a cascade. And I'm kind of like, well, that fucking blows. Like this is probably not going to space. And at this point, I'm like, yeah, this is probably a cutaway. But like, guess i'll see if it flares i mean it'd be rude not to right so i pop my toggles and i'm like (laughs) flying around i flared a couple times and i am having that this is real stupid like this is very irresponsible i'm going to set a terrible example for everyone who sees it but i'm like yeah it kind of flares like it wants to pull to the right but i feel like if i sort of you know flare like this like it feels okay and then i have the worst moment of this whole skydive where i'm like well i don't need to hold on to my slider now do i like it's fucking through all of my lines like where is it gonna go so i throw my slider and now the thing really wants to go right like really really wants to go right so i gave it like one more flare and i'm like okay well yeah now this isn't gonna work so i like flew like a mile north uh in an attempt to spot it and you know pulled my handles i think that was the first time i saved myself since i got my rigus ticket so that was that was fun it was fun to to rack up another save but yeah that was by far my dumbest cutaway uh and i'm never ever going to let Nico live it down because to this day I don't really know how he achieved yeah that's what I was going to ask if you talked to him if you talked oh, to the closing process oh absolutely because I mean picture this right because I I like I did a good job of spotting my cutaway my main landed uh my free bag landed like next to the pond 
and my main landed like just behind our hangar. So I didn't even like go in and drop my stuff off. Like I carried my reserve in my arms so I got my free bag in my main. Uh, and so I come in through the back door of our hangar and I'm just staring at Nico who's staring at me holding all of my shit like you know, two parachutes in a free bag like sup. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, I, I asked him some pretty specific questions about what the fuck he did while he was closing it. And to this day, he swears he did nothing wrong. And me and me and my exciting malfunction would beg to differ. I mean, maybe sometimes shit just happens. I mean, I agree. And like, I'm not could I'm, just could that could have just been the time could could have been. But I still I just don't get it. Like, I don't understand how you wind up with a with a, a lanyard through a cascade like the only how could that possibly happen in the air? You I know? don't know if, if that canopy was put down on the floor. With the tail already, it, it, I think I think yeah, I think I had it cocooned, but not like bagged. Like it was yeah, but if it's already cocooned, where where does the where does that get wrapped around anything? Oh yeah, but remember, we're blaming Nico right now. We're not oh, talking yeah. about like my potential faults. We're very much like this is the bus that <laughs> Nico, Nico like under the bus he goes. You fucked up, man. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> and uh, scariest moment in an airplane. I do want to hear that one. Ooh, um, I I mean I've been scare me out of my my. My, my budding piloting interest i haven't had too many like really scary ones and i don't know whether that's good or bad honestly i don't know whether it means i just didn't know how bad my choices were or that my choices have been good um a while ago i did how many hours do you have i've just over 400 okay great um and they're nearly all aerobatic I, and the ones that are aerobatic are mostly flying to somewhere to do aerobatics but um a while ago i i was going to an xw event at eloy which is like a super doable flight from my house and it's um if you sort of do the fuel planning math it's like exactly a tank plus the legal reserve and so my plan when i took off was like i had a fuel stop planned but i was like if i get a tailwind i'm just gonna go straight there you know and i i did the whole thing like i got a weather briefing like i I actually treated it like an adult pilot like i didn't just like seems fine send it and the weather was not awesome but it was like solidly fine and it was like above my personal minimums so i like took off on this flight and like as I started going, like the weather was sort of closing in. There's a there's a thing available to you as a pilot called an RCO, which is a radio communications outlet. But basically, it's people who are not ATC. Like they're not responsible for managing traffic. They're kind of just a voice to talk to, and they have access to like weather and schedules. They you can just ask them stuff. And they're also bored as shit, mm-hmm. is what I learned on this flight. Right. So I'm watching the weather close in around me, and so I call up an RCO to be like, hey, like. This is what I'm flying through. This was not forecast. Like, do you have a radar in front of you? Can can you tell me whether or not this is going to get better or worse as I as I push on? And the dude I spoke to is like, yeah, I see it. Like, yeah, it's going to get better. You're you're going to be fine. And I'm like, okay. So I I push on and learning to fly in California. Like California is just covered in airports. Like if you just close your eyes and land the airplane, I give it about 50-50 that you're on a runway. They're just fucking everywhere, right? But once you sort of get out into the valleys, like you get far like you suddenly you get into this place where it's not like oh i don't like what's happening i will land there it's like oh i have 45 minutes to fly before i get to somewhere i can like safely land um and so over the mountains like in arizona is where i started hitting both turbulence and rain at the same time uh and i was like man like i do not love this so i get back on the radio with this guy and i'm like hey like remember when you said this would get better (laughs) it's like not doing that like any thoughts and so it didn't wind up being like super sketch, but I think that was the first time I did kind of feel that like pit in my stomach, like, you know, fuck, I might have, I may have made a terrible mistake and that, I like think I'll get out of it, but I don't know how yet. And that, and that the was the classic. I'd, I'd rather be, uh, yeah, rather be, be on rather the ground. Be, yeah. I'll be on the ground wishing you were in the air than the opposite. Exactly. And then, I mean, like it, it wound up not being super bad. Like, I mean, the weather stayed not awesome for pretty much my whole mountain crossing, which is obviously where you want the worst weather is like while you're over gnarly terrain that you definitely can't land on. And then you get out over the valleys, which like, 
it would be bad. You'll probably break something, but like you won't die is when it's, you know, started to come good. And then I started looking at all of the outs were kind of so would save so little time that it was like at this point, like I would rather just fly for five more minutes and be at Elo. You know, like is, is the utility of detouring to very slightly better weather so that I just need to fly some more today, like really worth it. So it, it didn't wind up being like super sketch. Like I, I haven't had like a, a really bad, like I took off in an airplane that wasn't safe to fly or, you know, like I, you know, I, I haven't had a, you know, I, I haven't like had both fuel gauges reading empty and it's like nighttime and I'm over the ocean. Like I haven't, haven't done like that one yet. You're not Tom Cruise yet. Yeah, exactly. But, but I think that was sort of the, the closest I've come to like really having that, like, man, I don't know if this is going to go great. Um, you know, the, the only other one I can think of is after my first contest. I mean, this is probably a better story. Now I stopped to think of it. So this guy, Rory Moore, who I met there, he's 75. He flies unlimited, which is the in, in aerobatic circles. So there's five classes, uh, primary sportsman, intermediate, advanced, unlimited. And if you talk to, to pilots about it, advanced is about flying good and unlimited is about surviving, right. right? Like the figures are just like so brutal on the body. Like not that they unlimited pilots aren't like ninjas. Like, don't get me wrong. Those guys are badass, but like, the, the figures are just like intentionally savage. Like they're just meant to fuck you up a little bit. So dude's 75 and flies unlimited like pretty well. So I was hanging out with him. Um, they also do four minute free, which is like, it's not set figures. You get to use smoke, you set to music. You just, if the airplane can do it, it's legal. So I helped him load the smoke into his airplane for his, for his free. And then the next morning, you know, I'd sort of met him the day before. We're getting ready to leave at the same time. And he's kind of like, I think I'm going to chill on the ground for a bit. I don't think I like the weather. And I'm like, I think it's fine. And obviously, you know, I'm much younger than he is probably have like a hundredth of his hours. So I'm like, well, this, what does he know? Right. And, and so he did convince me to stay for a little bit that I had to, we were also going slightly different directions. He was going to San Diego, which is like Southwest of where I was going. I was going Northwest to, to get up into the central Valley. Um, and so like the big thing that I was stressed about was the San Bernardino Valley was just completely socked in. So I was going to be flying over clouds for about an hour. And if I had like engine problems or fuel problems, or really any problems, like now I have to, get below the clouds and like not die in the process. So in the end, both of us were like, let's go have a look, which is like the classic pilotism, right? Same as skydivers. I'm just going to go have a look and then you go do something stupid. So we take off, we're on the radio together and he calls me because his airplane's way faster than mine. So he's like, yeah, I'm having a look and it fucking sucks. I'm going back. And I'm like, okay, I am also going to have a look when I get there, but I'm probably going to come back. So I get out there and I'm an adult and I look at it and I come back and I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to play this game. So I go back to the airport. We hang out on the ground. I check the weather some more and I'm like, I do sort of need to be home. It looks not great, but it is fine. Like this is, this is not something I shouldn't do. So I fuel up. I put like two more gallons of fuel in my airplane because it was basically full. But I was like, if I'm going to embark on this trip, that may not be a good idea. Bet your ass the tanks are going to be like as full as they get, right? So top it up, take off. And as I, as I lift the tail, so I fly a tailwheel airplane, which can be unforgiving in gnarly winds shall we say this like honking gust comes through like direct crosswind and straight away i'm like i don't know if i can land back here that fucking sucks so i get out and i have a look at it and it's literally no better like whatever weather source i checked to like convince myself this was going to go well was like full of shit so at that point i'm like fuck it i guess i'll go so i flew over the clouds for an hour which was pretty tense like i probably have the skills if push really came to shove to like get in there and land somewhere safely but i did not want to exercise them right like why so I flew over the clouds for an hour and I was like, yeah, okay, this, this is fine. I'm like obsessively checking my engine instruments and like my fuel and everything. It looks good. And then I get to the other side and the winds on the other side are like 45 gusting 60, like direct crosswind down like every runway. And I'm like, okay, 
well, that's bad. So now I'm like on four flight, which is like a, a pilot's use that you can get the weather in flight. And I'm like trying to figure out how much further I have to go until I get to like anywhere I can land. And at this point, I don't care about fuel. I don't care about accommodation. I just like, not that I necessarily want to land there. I just want to know the cl- the closest place I could land, you know? Um, And so like I, I get, you know, I, I eventually found something. It wound up not being a huge deal. Ironically, my starter motor did die on my fuel stop. So now I'm sitting on the ground very safe with an airplane that won't start just like man this fucking blows as well but i i do vividly remember a like i as soon as i that gust hit me on takeoff i like heard rory being like you shouldn't have done this and i'm like i shouldn't have done this uh but also just being like this i'm gonna learn a lesson today i just don't know how expensive it's gonna be yet you know so those i guess those are my two two kind of pilot stories which they're not like super bad right like and and i think in many ways the fact that they didn't end terribly probably means my decision making is like okay but you know in the moment i was like man i don't know if i totally love that i committed to this right now so you hear uh, rory's voice is the voice of, of reason in your mind yeah and especially like you know when he when he's like an older dude who admittedly like flies awesome but like dude he goes super hard like when he's the one who's like mm, i don't know if your choices are good i'm like fuck maybe my choices are bad if you knew that you were going to be that voice of reason in a new pilot's mind what's what's the one bit of wisdom you would share I mean, this is the thing, right? Like, I, I, I think, honestly, it's the same wisdom I share with, like, canopy piloting, with skydiving, with base jumping. It's just, like, you should have, like, a good faith explanation for why you think this is going to be fine. Like, it doesn't, you know, it's not like you should never do anything with inherent risk because we would never do anything. But, like, when I do meet people who, whose whole plan is, like, I'm a lucky person, that's, like, mm-hmm. that, that's what, like, really stresses me out. And so I, I really just try and impress upon people, like, man, like, have a couple plans, especially if you know that you're that you're on the edge, like, Actually, Matt Blank dropped a, a really good piece of wisdom on me this year at the Parine. He was like, before you do anything stupid, you should ask yourself, like, do I want to do this? Why? Can I do this? How? And I, I think that's, like, such an awesome piece of advice. And that, that like, really kind of stuck with me. Like, Say, for, say it one more time. So it, it's, uh, do I want to do this? Do I want to do this? Why? Why do I want to do this? Great. Can I do this? Uh, and how, how am I going to do that? Okay. And, and I, I think, like, actually, like, the, those four questions kind of sum up, like, most of the terrible reasons that you have for doing stuff you know if, if you're like on an exit point in sketchy winds you know with a camera crew and you're like well i only want to do this because i like want the shot like oh fucking do you actually want it that bad versus it's like man i i love base jumping and like this feels good so i think i want to do it i don't know that's a great answer um you know when this came up i was, I was standing on the dock side of the prime the plan was to do um because it was like a pretty good tailwind so we were going to do floaters off the dock side and you know, the, the dark side meeting the side that's away from the landing area exactly right? the side that people usually jump off for a different reason yeah okay. exactly yeah. um and so the, the plan I was i don't know what a floater is uh so a floater is where you go facing the object um and so we're, okay. we're doing tods as well so you're, you're holding your parachute in your hands it's not in your container a tarred floater on the dark side yeah okay great Super reason. And, and so the reason <laughs> right was sounds like something i saw in the target bathroom yesterday. exactly it sounded good when you said it and you know what's up <laughs> Um, and, and, you know, the, the reason for this was like the, the winds were pushing from the backside. So we we're going to get like tons of shove, but you know, the complication here is like, if you chicken out and let go of your parachute, like early, you're just going to fly into the steel and like best case, it'll be extremely humiliating. Like worst case, it will not be that good, you know? And, and so I was sort of like at, at the point where someone proposed this, I kind of was like, I can totally do this. Like I, all I have to do is not let go of a parachute for two seconds feels super doable i believe in myself but i was sort of asking myself like how much do i actually care about doing this right because my my goal for that trip was to just have a really mellow weekend at the prime like do some base jumps but i wasn't there to charge i was just there to do some base jumps with my friends 
And so I'd pretty early sort of made the call that I wasn't jumping. Like I was standing there like looking at the the other two people who were planning on jumping kind of being like, yeah, well, I'm going to see how it goes for one of you, but I'm I'm pretty sure I'm walking around and going to the other side that's going to be like super easy, you know? Um, but it, yeah, he, he sort of dropped that one on, on the jumper that he was coaching and it really stuck with me. Like I just, I think those four questions, that's probably what I would tell a new pilot, honestly. I'm trying to scare myself out of that interest to fly an airplane. Dude, flying airplanes is awesome. Like it looks awesome. Uh, I it, mean, Ryan Lipa just got his private. Like he's, he just bought a Cherokee. Like, man, make that guy take you flying. I can't afford it is my reason. How many hours did it take you to get your private? It took me about a hundred. Um, the, the national average is like 60 or 70. Um, I did mine in a tailwheel airplane cause I sort of, I knew that if I did stick with it, I wanted to do aerobatics. And so to me, it made sense to just go out and get my private in a, in a tailwheel. So I didn't, have that hurdle to cross to, to get into aerobatics. Um, but you know, if you don't do that and just artificially make it way harder on yourself, you will like get your private a lot sooner. So I, I think, I mean, the best advice is to like talk to people who've been through, if you do decide to do it is like talk to people who've been through the school that you're looking at mm-hmm. and, and see what their kind of story looks like. Cause I mean, some of it's aptitude, some of it is instructors. Like the, there are schools that just want to bleed you for money. Like, same as skydiving, man. Like there, business, yeah. there are some drop zones that will like see how many levels they can get you to repeat. And then there are drop zones that don't do that because they don't suck. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, I think the national average of like 60 to 70 is like a good place to start. Do you, have you ever th- thought about flying a plane? It, do, my whole life. Something. So I grew up, I think, you know, on military air bases. Uh-huh. I've always been fascinated by flying. Um, in high school, I actually had a goal of joining the military and wanting to fly planes. So my original goal of going to school for electrical engineering was because I it was a degree that would lead me to be able to fly in the military. Um, as I was a kid, the recruiter was also a friend of my dad who was a Marine, um, said, hey, you squint a lot. Do you wear glasses? Yeah. Like, well, you'll never be a fighter. Yeah, I squint a lot. You guys, fuck all y'all. It's an Asian joke. God damn it. I'm not high. I'm just Japanese. Um, the uh, recruiter's like, yo, so I wouldn't normally tell you this. Um but since you're my buddy's kid, you're not going to get, you're never going to be a, a fighter pilot with a vision like that. You have zero chance. I'm like, oh, I gave up on it. I wanted to fly still over time um, in skydiving, got to know a lot of CFIs, got to learn the averages of what it takes. And I just fast forwarded in my brain to say, okay, I now have a private pilot's license. What is it going to cost me to use this? Okay, nope, never mind. For me, it's just too expensive. Because I have money I want to put in other places, not because I can't afford it. It's because I have an old car that costs a lot of money, and that's where I'd rather throw my money at. Your dad's buddy sounds like a real asshole. <laughs> um, well, I would have been a Marine. I would have been a Marine, and I wouldn't have been able to do what I wanted to do. So, guess it all kind of worked out. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Except for DJs never flying an airplane no i, I wait i mean there's always the future i guess you oh he had no pick it up in the, in the he, future he had no decision in it he uh so he was pretty forthright as a recruiter he gets numbers and he was uh like normally i would just let you go and let you think whatever you want to think since you're my buddy's kid i'm going to warn you you're not going to get a chance at all at what you want hmm. since i know that i'm going to warn you you might not want to sign this you might not want to sign up so yeah, it's cool. and this, you this up. is based just on your actual vision yeah. No, so, nothing to do with being Asian. No. Just <laughs> <laughs> trying to prevent the next uh, wave of kamikaze. Brother, you know? I told you it's just a parking accident. <laughs> we are bad drivers. We cannot park. How are America we visit? Oh, so sorry. Did not crash. 
<laughs> but uh, it's uh, dude. I was gaming with a buddy the other day, and somebody made. There's we're playing a game in Nakatomi Plaza from from Die Hard. From Die Hard is is in Warzone, and we make a comment and. My buddy always calls it Nagasaki. Oh, no. <laughs> and I make a joke about it being place where my family died. And this random dude we're playing with starts making some super like racist Japanese comments. Not like completely racist. I took I, they were totally jokes in my mind. I didn't take them racist. It's like, yo, dude, I'm Japanese, man. You can't say those things. It got so awkward watching somebody backpedal the racist Japanese shit. Find out my white sounding asses. I dude, I'm a white boy, hunt. Like it's like you're not really Australian. You're American. Oh Jesus. Okay, so we're gonna fight. <laughs> is, that, huh? is that the Great. sound of like okay. the rest of your soul dying? Yeah, as we that's, call you that's it. Just, you want to know right. what a proper Aussie sounds like? Oh. Listen to this guy over here. Yeah, maybe I haven't really practiced too much recently. So <laughs> how does it sound? Pretty good. Oh, fucking, Pretty shit. Fucking truth, mate. Yeah, right. <laughs> fucking oath. Fat ankle. Can fucking oath. <laughs> Dude, I've been waiting to bust it out. <laughs> Dude, no bullshit on on the drive over here because I really haven't practiced in a minute. I was just talking to myself. I'm like, he's Aussie. Maybe they're going to ask me some Aussie shit. I got to get some lines ready. <laughs> like, well, well, I haven't practiced in a minute, but... <laughs> I've, actually, a bunch of the... A bunch of the... Bunch of Dude, it's my even, it's, have been like, asking about Australian your stuff Your accent's lately. already thicker. Just hearing him rattle Dude, off a few lines. So it's, it's contagious. We just have to keep going. It, I mean, honestly, even just thinking about Australia, honestly, like normally people ask me about Australia and by the third time I just say Australia, which is basically other country ought to be pronounced. America. Australia. Exactly. Australia. 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 Australia, mate. Yeah, right. Um, Sounds about right to me. But no, I mean, hanging, hanging out with Aussies does make you like Dude, revert to real. being Australian like real fucking quick. Man, we had a lot of Aussies here. Uh, what was it? 2019? Yeah, because it was like the year before COVID, I believe. There was like three or four of them who were here on the unlimited package. They were here day in, day out. And then they had a couple of other guys come and visit for a couple of weeks. So there's like four or five guys running around. And dude, the level of Aussie that picked up when they all got together was insane. Dude, it's mental. It, it's like so ridiculous, like how quick it just fucking like. Yeah. Yeah. It's like lights a, the fire back inside. you. Yeah. It, it was like a speeding train that they all jumped on together. And there's just so much Australian happening. And it's so fun to watch from the outside because it's just like a. It's like a swarm of bees almost. It's just it looks so chaotic but so fun, you know. It was man, it was really fucking cool to watch. You're a swarm of bees. Congratulations. Sick. A beautiful, a beautiful swarm of bees. Anything better than a sepo? Yeah, right. <laughs> fucking oath. Fucking sepos. Good fucking what? What are you guys saying? Fucking oath. I, I love how you ask me that question. We have a real Australian. In the yeah, but, but someone, and you look at me. But I, I, I bet someone had to explain it to you. And you're, dude. That was the first time I heard Seppo was today. I wrote it down in my phone, dude. Like I made a note. I was like Seppo. <laughs> but yeah, I, what was it? Like a septic? Uh, yeah, septic tank. Septic tank. For a yank. Yank. Okay. Septic tank. Septic tank. Yeah, because you're talking about like rhyming slang, right? Uh-huh. Like that's yeah. that's kind of the thing. But what's oath? Yeah, what's this oath thing you guys? Oh, are just fucking oath. Like, fucking oath. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Right. But then, so, I mean, oh, I guess like again. Truth. It, truth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, fucking oath. But in the what same are, way as like rhyming slang, like a lot of people say Ken Oath, as in fuck Ken Oath. Ken Oath. But then I'll say Ken fucking Oath, just to Ken really drive oath. the point home. I like you it. look confused. I don't get it. it you makes try. So much sense. Nick, you no, try. I get it. Can <laughs> pretty good. Ken Oath. Ken fucking Oath. Yeah, Ken fucking Oath. I can't oath. do it. You guys DJ? Are good. DJ? Maybe? What? Ken fucking Oath? Ken fucking Oath. Yeah, right. He's pretty good. No. I might. Pip, pip, cherry head. Maybe we can try, with, maybe we can try with something a little easier. Is there like a, like an Aussie word that you just like, if you're going to throw an American a bone and you're going to try to try to make them get the accent a little bit, 
without being too stereotypical because everyone thinks like, yeah, good night, right? Like you sick <sighs> fucking cunt, hey? Yeah, but is there a word that you just you throw out there because it's nice and easy to say for us? The, the, the worst thing is that the only thing I can think of is like the exact opposite of this is uh, that that joke that was going around for a while is if if it, as an American you say rise up lights. Really yeah, yeah. quickly, you've said razor blades the way an Australian would, mm-hmm. and that's the only thing that that's the neon sign flashing in my head. I don't fucking know what what honestly, just saying Australia instead of Australia might be like the best thing you could do. Is what like, about Oz? Yeah, you say Oz. Oz is fine. When people refer to it as Aussie, that's when I just want to fucking slap someone. Really? Yeah. Is that like a like they just don't say it at all in Australia or? No, I mean it's like calling San Francisco San Fran. Like, okay. yeah. If, like people that. do that, but like if you do that to the locals, they will like. I got it. Get, yeah. get aggro like pretty quick. So it's your word. You guys can say it, but we can't. No, it's not even that. It's just like no one would actually San like San Fran say it. Uh, San okay, Francisco. Oh, they hate it. I, dude, I'm yeah. going to be like, yo, dude, I love visiting San Fran. You guys are so nice. <laughs> you, should, you should definitely do that. <laughs> and then ask for directions. Actually, that's something that I haven't really seen in the US. Like in Australia and especially France, it's like a classic. Like if someone's a dick for you and then asks for directions, you just send them the wrong way. Like very politely, but you're just like, yeah, man, drive for about an hour and a half this way. And then you're going to see a sign just turn right there, I guess. Like see ya. And then you just, you just wave. You just gave terrible directions to someone and you yeah. get to enjoy that. Now. They get to go on a fucking adventure. <laughs> yeah. That's not bad. I mean, I've never really like given anybody directions now that I think about it. Like no one's ever stopped me to ask me for directions. Awesome. I guess I'm just not that approachable. I try not to be. I think it's the day and age we live in. Yeah, that's because it's been a long time since I've asked for directions, but I've been in a place in yeah, life where I've pulled over and said, hey, I'm at a gas station. I need directions because I think walking directions is still kind of a th- I mean, obviously, like now we all have smartphones is you know, yeah. less, less need to, to ask for directions. But I feel like I've asked people for like walking directions, like like walking around town or a, a village or. a Yeah, like, like I was in um, a village. I was in uh, Heidelberg a while ago, which is in Germany, and like it's a pretty like spread out town. I feel like I was out there like asking for directions in my fucking broken German. Well, your Australian is also broken, to be fair. Well, actually, I mean that's <laughs> it's funny you say that because uh, I used to do this Mexico trip every year, and uh, I don't know like e- even though we're out in Puerto Escondido, which is like you know whatever tourist town, and I think for the most part they're like pretty tolerant of gringo bullshit. Yeah, once everyone realized I was Australian, suddenly they were very nice to me. Like suddenly everyone speaks English. Like, <laughs> oh, he's not American. He's yeah, exactly. Like they, they'd think I was American, and they'd be like, "Well, you, you know, fundamentally, I guess you could just go fuck yourself." Is like the main thing you could do. And then they realized that I'm Australian. They're like, "Oh, yeah, no, actually, I speak pretty English." <laughs> what do you need? You want some tacos? Like, it's fucking great. That's like rule one of traveling: don't be American. Be Australian. God, that makes me so. That makes me feel sad on the inside. So, how do we look more Australian then, or how do we act more Australian when we're traveling? Like, what was the thing that convinced this guy that you weren't American? I, I think my accent, I think, honestly, I realized what was happening and just, like, really started, like, pushing the soft ass. <laughs> like, I, I think that may have been the thing. I think saying over there was just, like, not working. And I was like, there. And that, like, re- I think that's how I got it across the line. Yeah. The ears <laughs> he pulled out his bit. boomerang. Yeah, exactly. Give it a toss. Yeah, we got to travel with some Australian flags on our shirts. Perfect. Wear him yeah. as a cape. That's never had any, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> no one's no one's ever done a hate crime wearing an Australian flag as a cape. Is that true? Yeah, no. People have done tons of hate crimes oh. wearing Australian Really? Flags. That's a thing? Like yeah. Just it, pops a cape on and go do some bad yeah, shit? Yeah, it was really... And it, for a while, it was kind of like cute and whatever. And then there, there was like a really bad riot in Cronulla once. And now we, we don't do that anymore. You guys don't have guns there. No, not... Look, no one has guns the way you have guns. <laughs> like <laughs> we are in America. I got and three Texas. guns we right now. Uh, no, we we broke the record once. Three. I mean, like we had the 
No. Okay. <laughs> I, I was counting on two. Oh, no. No, I'm not. I'm okay. not packing. No, we, we had like a really two. bad mass shooting, and then they were like, no more guns, and everyone was like, sweet. We ha- have had thousands of terrible mass shootings. No, but we had the record for a little bit. Well, I bet you we took it back. You did. Goddamn right. <laughs> Quickly <laughs> and with gusto. Yeah, it's, that's a terrible thing. It's it's easy to joke about, but man, sometimes I'll be in a public place and I'll just try and imagine that situation of gunshots happening right now. Oh, it's, it's fucked. F- yeah, so so terrible. And it's, I mean, like they're loud. Yeah, painful. Worst thing about mass shootings. Uh, you know, I, I guess I think one of the things that really because I've lived in the U.S. for a long time, but there's a lot of like aspects of American culture that I still like haven't really internalized. Um, but for, for whatever reason, like when, it, when we're all in lockdown and like there wasn't a school shooting for like two months and that, that was like noteworthy, like a, that like for some reason that hit me like really hard and then the world started opening back up in the U S and they just started being like school shootings <clears> in a regular cadence. I was like, wow, like maybe this is actually preventable. Like, holy fuck you guys. I don't know. It's like, it, it's, it's really weird to someone who didn't grow up here to just like have this be so normal. I mean, I don't think that it's normal. I mean, may, I guess maybe it's become normal. I, feel, I mean, I feel like it has. Because, like, I mean, that, that was like, at least my experience was like, there was briefly sort of a conversation around like, wow, this didn't happen for a couple of weeks. Like, that's pretty neat. And then like, they started happening again. That was just like, wasn't wasn't really discussed. Yeah, it's definitely not shocking anymore when you hear yeah, that one. Exactly. Oh, there was another school shooting. Where? Oh, yeah. I don't. Yeah. It's like they, there were too many to even remember. But I, I don't know. I don't know that... Uh, Americans give up their guns. I don't think that that would ever happen. No, I mean, it, you guys are uh, pretty stubborn people. Just pretty, really just willing to literally die on that hill. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I I feel like people are pretty friendly. Like, Texas, there are lots of guns here. And I feel like they're, like, are pretty uh, friendly people here. Like, Southern ha- hospitality is alive and well in, in, in this well-armed state of Texas. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you the, something of a paradox, but... I don't know. I mean, you guys are still the the undisputed world champions of gun violence. You know, I think personally, I would be less likely to start a road rage fight here because the thought of man, this guy probably has a gun, would enter my head pretty quickly. I I, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, but also like it just feels like it doesn't actually work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you, the number of people who have been shot in school shootings would probably they'd probably all agree with you that yeah. it's not working very well. But, but man, I don't I don't know what the solution is. If it's I, I don't I don't believe if they pass a law tomorrow saying everyone's got to surrender their guns, man, you're just going to have a bunch of people with with illegal guns. That's just what's I believe yeah. that's what would happen. No, I mean I I do I don't want to sound defeatist. I think it's relatively unlikely that we're going to solve gun violence tonight. I mean <laughs> we might. It's only dude. Well, holy shit! We've got, like, we've got like twenty three more minutes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, we'll solve gun violence and get another airplane story. Beautiful. <coughs> Love it. Maybe it'll be the same story. Who knows? Hey, do you have much experience with guns? No, I've, I have very little. Like when, when I was a kid, um, you know, I, I went shooting a hand, like I've, I've shot a gun, like a plurality of times, but I think honestly, like one, once I moved to the U S and, and sort of the situation here became more concrete to me, like I just, any interest like evaporated, like at that point they were just weren't interesting to me anymore. <clears throat> Man, I uh, I've always found them neat. Uh, they they're definitely they're they're st- the less you know about guns, I think the more scary they seem. The thought of having a gun and shooting a gun and having a gun in the house, I think, seems scary. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't, I'm, I know I'm I'm not taking like a a moral high ground, but I think you know, for me personally, w- once I was like just kind of exposed to this environment, I think at that point, like if I was holding a gun, I'd be like, cool, this is like an object that like in its lifetime might be used to kill someone. I just don't 
at, at that point, my interest in it was like pretty non-existent. Yeah, they recently passed a law that uh, you can conceal carry in Texas without a concealed Const- carry permit. Uh, constitutional carry. That's what yeah. it's called. Yeah. Did that did that law pass the same day as the abortion law? <laughs> no, it was uh, separated by actually a few months. There's like so many. There's a good handful of states have constitutional carry. You can carry. You as a citizen just have the right to carry a gun. There's no laws, no regulation, no governing, no uh, licensing. I know a lot of Texans who will continue to carry concealed permits. So Texas, we don't have a license, a concealed permit. We have an LTC, license to carry. It licenses you to carry exposed or concealed. You can you can show or you can not show. Um, a lot of people still want to get that because if you go to a state that doesn't have constitutional carry, you can still carry. Um, it, it's uh, I grew up around guns, period. My dad is a 28-year Marine. Um, I remember as a young fellow being first exposed, mm, I'm going to say around seven years old, maybe eight years old, to uh, guns around my uncle. My dad and my uncle, we they went out hunting with a 22. Uh, went out with my uncles in the woods of, of Tennessee. Literally, I mean, like literally hillbilly of Tennessee. Uh, and they gave me a BB gun to shoot, and they were teaching me gun safety through this BB gun. It was really a good time with the boys, but there was a lot of like, hey, son, this is this is a gun. Uh, growing up around guns my whole life as a Marine, I've just always appreciated them. Um, I, I do own guns. Um, if I ever need a gun, it's to shoot dinner is my thought. Um, I I do I do like having them. I I don't think that my, my ever real need for a gun is going to be there. Um, but I'd rather have them and not need them than need them, not have them. And, uh, back to it. If I ever need a gun, my firm belief is I'm going to need it to shoot dinner. Like something, we have the great freeze of Texas and we don't have power, electricity or food. And there's a deer. Okay. I'm shooting a motherfucker. Let's go. You know, we evacuate Houston and with the, the last mass evacuation of Houston was, um, Rita, if I remember right. And it was a clusterfuck and getting in and out. If I get stuck in situations like that, that's the only time I really see needing a gun. I do have friends who have a thousand rounds of every type hmm. of ammo. Who like I, I got a couple boxes of ammo. I mean, like you know, I got a reasonable amount. I'm gonna run out if if we're gonna like get into a war. I'm gonna have like metal things to throw at people because I ain't got a lot of bullets. <laughs> I mean, I've always, I mean, I've always found that argument like really unconvincing, right? Yeah. Like at the point where, like you know, yeah. if you read the Second Amendment literally, it's like, well, to protect you from a tyrannical government, but like your government has like drones and your police have tanks now. Like you, <laughs> yes, they do. There is no amount of like there. You just can't win, yeah. and you can't like make a good faith argument that you might. <clears throat> Right. And, and that's one of the things that I do sort of find confronting about this country is like it on its face. That argument is just like so insane. I think yeah. that argument would hold water at the time it was written. Oh, yeah. At the time. Yeah. yeah, but, yeah when their plan was to get close enough to so wait a you with a knife on the end of the rifle. So like, I have absolutely. the right to bear tanks and nuclear arms then. Yeah. Because I got I am. Um, I'm a huge advocate of of let people be led within reason. Um, I think there's a bigger problem with mental health care and um just social care and social well-being and i think we should be really focusing on that there's a lot more going on chicago's uh gun uh ban is not working very well for their gun violence um i didn't know about that oh no chicago you can't have guns in chicago and they have some of the largest gun violence numbers in the world um yet other states that are uh, it's not just states but regions uh that are more uh, rural. They're they're often places where people aren't socially crammed in each other's faces. 
where people are watching out and being a community because a lot of this world is no longer a community. We're people who live next to each other, but we don't talk to each other. We don't know each other. It's, it's just a broken world. And then those communities, they don't seem to have that large amount of gun violence. I think if we, I think if we can, there's plenty of countries where guns are completely legal and they don't have the problems we have in America. I don't think our gun problem in America is our problem in America is guns. I'm not going to argue guns are dangerous. I'm not going to argue. Like I actually do believe in and for some level of gun control. Um, there should be some safety implemented. There should be some some limitations that we should have. But there's plenty of countries that have it, man. I think our mental state and our social state is just broken as fuck. That for me is the biggest problem in argument, and and I think it's truly everybody could agree the deeper argument said and done. That's a more important thing to be fixed than gun control. Um, I'm not. I'm I'm totally open to somebody believing one way or another. I, it's, I'm not offended. It doesn't bother me. It's not something I'm going to shove belief and values down people's throats. But at the same time, it's dude. It's how many of these gun crimes trace back to social and emotional issues? How many of these? crimes in these other countries people are dying by hand axes people are dying by knives people are coming in with bows and arrows these are making headlines all over the world there are murders being committed in large numbers with any type of weapon possible absolutely guns are uh, um impactful to say the least i uh, um they're, they're they're a very extreme way to uh, of violence so they're they're explosive and i don't mean that uh to be funny um but man, it's it's a social or emotional issue. It's it's people need help, and I think if if we could take care of each other better and worry about those things more, I would be curious to what would happen to a lot of things. I, I just, I uh, I'm I'm the son of a marine and a Texan, so to say, I like guns is pretty legit. Uh, I can't do an Aussie accent, but I'm a redneck, so uh, let's shoot some shit, motherfucker. Um, no, uh, I don't mean that badly. Um, I do like the sport of shooting. Absolutely. I love going out and being able to shoot. Um, if you made me point a gun at somebody, that's like scares the shit out of me. If, if, I, if I ever had to shoot somebody, it means I was about to be dead and there's no other choice, and I still don't know if I could shoot a man. That's a pretty daunting thought process. Um, but man, to shoot target, to go out and, and drill and, and mess around with weapons, it's, it's something fun to do. So let's go get airsoft guns and go shoot each other. Do have you seen the high level airsoft shooting? No. Is it, you think it's more fun than paintball? Yes. I've, I've played paintball at a reasonable level. I watched some, uh, airsoft stuff lately and how these guys are playing. Holy fuck, man. It's like, they, these guys think they're call of duty. It's called, like, I'm not joking, dude. It's, they're switching weapons. They're doing speed reloads. They're moving around. Dude, what's it's, the point of switching weapons? Uh, they're carrying primaries and secondaries, and they're running out of ammo, and they're 150 fucking round magazine for air BBs, and they're dropping that, that to pull their pistol. Like some Call of Duty shit for sure. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> I was, like, the, the one time I did paintball, it was uh, my, my high school friend's, like, soon-to-be husband's, like, bucks thing. But he was from Switzerland. He was in the Swiss Army, and I guess... They're pretty legit because he fucked us up. And it, like knowing that it was like a Bucks thing, like at the end of the day, they like basically were like, well, you know, it's you against all of them. Like a Bucks thing? Oh, uh, like a stag party. Oh, like a, a bachelor party. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Party. Um, 
Is that not a th- the buck is even an American word? It's anyway, not, whatever. It, I mean, when you say buck, I think like deer. You know, like a, yeah, yeah. a, a I, male deer, a big buck. Yeah, a stag. Like a stag. Stag. <laughs> like, a, like a stag. Anyway, whatever. It's fine. Um, but so like they they basically were like it's you against all of them, thinking that he'd you know get fucked up, and then he still fucking beat us soundly. Like it turns out he's really good at mm. fucking being in the army, which he did for ten years, and <laughs> we're just a bunch of dickheads with ass with fucking paintball guns. Tell him to go back to making knives. <laughs> Swiss army asshole. And I cheese. get it now. Thank you. So I, I just sort of like chuckled sensibly because I'm like this when it comes to me, I, it'll look like I got it. At the it'll, start. it'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Knives and cheese. That's what he does. So hold on. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I really want to know with the, the airsoft uh, gun battles. What would you call it? Airsoft. Sure. Okay. Whatever. Is it all on the honor system as to whether you got shot or not? Because a paintball uh, leaves a mark. You can't wipe the paint off. So there's, uh, yes, it seems to be honor system. Actually, I 100% believe it because I've watched videos of people calling cheaters and showing, like, they have POV cams on their guns, showing clear hits after the game, going like, look, judges, he's not calling his outs. Um, So it's an honor system, and judges are standing in the field trying to catch everything, but I've watched some videos of Airsoft, and how do you watch this little white 30-gram B, a gram BB through the sky? It's this little tiny thing. Have you been shot by one? Uh, air, not like you I guess be? I'm leading. Yes, to <laughs> I, I've been shot by an airsoft gun, but not one of these calibers. I'm leading to the question of if you were in a you know a turn an elevated situation, do you think you could miss the fact that you got hit by one of those BBs, or are you going to know for sure? Oh no, dude, hundred percent. So like when we played paintball, this was a monthly game we were in. We wore baggy enough clothing, partially so it doesn't hurt, and partially you're hoping it catches the paintball and doesn't break it so you can lie and get your way out of being killed because mm. you're supposed to call non-breaks. Um, and absolutely, I believe you can get hit in the baggy part of the clothes and not know it. But there, there's videos of people out there in airsoft accusing each other of cheating that obviously you know you got hit. Exposed skin getting hit. So, so everyone's got to play naked. That's the new rule, dude. It's dude. but it's amazing. Dudes are sniping. At, like people really think they're fucking Call of Duty with these airsoft guns. <laughs> they have an equivalent of a sniper rifle. Hundred percent. Yeah, dude. I, when I was doing uh, paintball games years ago, they were still they had snipers back then. But these paint dude look like absolutely legitimate. Like did Sylvester Stallone use that gun in this movie? Kind of weapons. It's crazy. They have grenades. Like, you throw this thing, it pops out bullshit. They have shotguns. One dude went into a paintball game and got everybody to agree that he could throw hands of BBs at everybody, and that's how he was going to play. And they're like, yeah, if you can get close enough to throw hands of BBs at me, you can win. He won. He was like that dude, right? It's like, motherfucker. Um, they have everything you can think of. It's fucking nuts. Good times. Are we playing an airsoft game out of the drop zone? Oh, my God. I actually, I do. <laughs> fuck, what boogie? I was in a boogie a while ago. Where they, some poor, poor member of the staff had to put on a chicken suit and we shot at him with paintball guns. Yeah, I would play, if, if we were able to rent paintball guns and set up obstacles at the drop zone, I would totally do that. It was, fuck. It can be know, done. I don't and know I'd wear a chicken suit. It can be done. I'm yeah. positive. Look up gear uh, paintball uh, like rental. rentals. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, no, there's I'm positive there's companies, if you have the property, will bring out their shit and let you do it. Oh, definitely. Yeah. You want to pay I mean, this users? wasn't like a. This this didn't feel official. This felt a lot like shooting some poor fuck who doesn't <laughs> yeah. make enough money in so, chicken soup. Like someone stressing them about how to make a boogie exciting. Yeah, exactly. A gun in their back closet. Super off the books. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, fuck that chicken. Whatever. 
What's your favorite part about skydiving? I don't think we've got to talk to, too much about other than uh, your your XRW plans. I, I mean, honestly, I mean, like canopy flights probably the cop out answer. I mean, one one fun fact I'll I'll share with you is like because I I got into swooping first and then relatively recently kind of made a, a genuine effort to like learn how to free fly and like. If you learn to swoop first, it doesn't matter how bad you fuck up the skydive. Like, you still get to swoop. You're yeah, stoked. You always ended on a high note. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, everyone else who has to land their fucking, like, Sabre 2170 is, like, not impressed with your bullshit. But I'm like, dude, I went dirt. What a dirt. Like, that was, I mean, yeah. Dude. Fuck I wanna, yeah. I mean, you probably saw me blow shit up from the ground. But, like, I had a six swoop. I want to be impressed. I want to be fair. When you're landing that Sabre 2170, we are deeply impressed with some of the fucking pond landings we get in our main landing area. Some of those kids pulling off surfs in the puddles in the middle. Dude, <laughs> did you guys see the video of uh, Mario doing a wing over on like a big ass save of three? No. It is insane. He's in the Dubai pond. He fucking, it's like a 120 or a 135 or something. And he does like an honest to God wing over on it. I mean, you can like rip a big parachute. Like you definitely can. Yeah. Um, um, go ahead. But no, I mean, to answer your question, you know, I mean, I, I do. I love canopy flight. And like lately I've been on this like free flying kick. You know, I just got back from national. So obviously I did um, canopy piloting, which like, went pretty good for me i think i was really happy with How my performance speed? i won speed well i nearly won i i won speed as a guest right so like because uh all three speed, rounds all three rounds um i also i set the the state speed record in flcpa and i set the state distance record at national so i i had like a good mate you know I, I was like really happy with my performance um i then went off to do an mfs team with my girlfriend um, actually, one of the people I was talking about when I said, like, I know some, like, TIs and Riggers who were like, I can't do this. I'm going to go be a pilot. So, Haile Shimoni was one of those guys. Like, he was just like, I can't fucking do this anymore. So, now he's a jet pilot for Endeavor. Like, he flies RJs during the week. Wow. Super uncurrent. Like, seven skydives in the last three years. He comes out and flies MFS camera for us. Crushes it. Um, so, we, like, got fifth with, like, basically no training jumps. And, like, we doubled our jumps as a team, like, during the competition. Uh, I did a pickup VFS team, which went... Again, like really well. We like didn't train. I knew very little about the rules for VFS. I asked pretty much everyone on the drop zone with like a pulse and a rig to fly camera for us. Like no one wanted to do it. Um, and so in the end, I I, uh, I tricked Wade Baird into to flying camera for us. We came dead last, but like VFS is real hard is like pretty much what I'll say. So I'm like stoked on how we did there. And then I did a pickup tummy team. So it was me, Patrick Kessler, who won speed officially. Tummy team. That's Dude, not I a love word Tommy we use here in the, in the states, but <laughs> uh-huh. I'm into it. Uh, Tony Guess and J Russ from Core oh, yeah. were were my pickup team, and then Patrick's girlfriend Lauren flew camera for. So I like I had like a blast, right? And like I have been more excited about like the freefall side of, of skydiving. Like I, I feel like not that I don't still have a long way to go with with canopy piloting, but like you know, actually when we did Allenby Live, I, I sort of talked about like you know you, you get these like skill points. You know, like every year you get like a certain amount of skill points, and you can choose to invest them how you want. And I've sort of, re- I think I finally reached this point where I like have some leftovers. Like I still want to get better at canopy piloting, but now I have this like bandwidth to go get good at free flying, get good at wingsuiting, like whatever. Probably not get any better at tummy flying. I'm like very, <laughs> very comfortable with like the plateau that I've reached there. Um, and so, you know, I, I think my favorite part right now is still just like exploring and like feeling out like more stuff. I, I was surprised when I saw some of the photos, like the athlete photos you sent to, to, uh, LB altimeters. Uh huh. I'm like, man, it's like, it's mostly stuff of you belly flying and, and free flying. Like, there wasn't a lot of uh, canopy photos. Yeah, I mean, it's it, like, man, you, like you know, in my head, I just have you as this <coughs> badass canopy pilot. And it's like, man, even someone with that skill set can still find more joy and more fun in uh, 
or maybe not more, but I can definitely find more photos. You know, I mean, that's a part of it, right? Like it's it, when you're, when you're training at home, it's like just difficult to get like really good photos of you training. Um, and so that's a part of like, you, you got the photos I had. Um, but, but you know, I mean, honestly, like any, anyone who even dude, honest, I like, like I spend a lot of my life, like a lot clowning on Tommy flyers. Like it's fun. It's easy. They're too old to fight back. Like it's just awesome. Right. And so like I, I do it a lot, but like, dude, if someone comes up to me and is like, hey, we're doing a stupid belly jump. You want to come? Like the answer is probably yes. Right. Like belly jumps are fun skydives unless someone. No, they got to say tummy. tummy. Yeah. They got to say yeah. tummy, 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 tummy jumps. jumps. Yeah. Love tummy jumps. Tummy jumps. Um, but you know, I mean, like I do love just getting out and flying with my friends. In fact, like to kind of go full circle. I love it. Can I, we please just just side note call Tommy Miller Tommy Miller? Oh yeah, that's <laughs> can that stick? Yeah, no, that's done. I don't know how I didn't think of that, but like that is a thing now. I, I guess to kind of go full yes. circle, like I think part of the reason that canopy pilots get excited about XW is because like getting good at flying parachutes is very much a solo journey. You know, like there's you know, there's some flocking camps and there's this and that, but for the most part, it's just fucking thousands of hop and bops. Like I probably more than half of my skydives are hop and bops. Um, and so when you get excited about XW, like all of a sudden you actually get to do skydives with like party other with people, people, right? Like you might get to touch another human being. You might get to see someone. You'll have someone to talk to on the plane. Are, are you guys using comms at all? I, I go backward and forward with them and, and kind of where I'm at is like, if people have them, I'll use them. Um, I do sort of go back and forward. The last time we did a camp here, um, I did a bunch of jumps with Larry where we we're doing these like, you know, opposing figures where we we're like smashing past each other, like real close. And, and we sort of wanted comms, but we couldn't keep them connected. So we end up using literal smoke signals. Like we would, we both left with smoke and we would like pop the smoke to, to kind of communicate when we were ready. And so I, I, I like the idea of comms, but they're, sometimes they're not fully reliable and it stresses me out to have that big question mark, right? Like if the plan hinged on, we need to be able to talk to each other when you suddenly can't like now there's this big wild card. Um, and so for some things I find it easier to just assume that we won't be able to, um, but for sure, I mean, they, they can be incredibly valuable. I, I just think it, I think it depends on the people and it depends on the jump. And I think the devices are starting to get better and have more reliable. I know DQ just invested in a new system. And I think it's, supposed to be a little bit better than what was out there last i'm not sure i believe it. about it I, I think the last time i used i was like using the first gen centers which were i think not great you know yeah. I, I would definitely believe that it's getting better i mean if nothing else like i mean it's one of those things where the target market of motorcyclists like i mean they have similar constraints than we do like they get far apart and then when they get back together they would like to be able to talk to each other without having to like stop and clink helmets right and so like i, I think, bill like, i gotta connect my bluetooth yeah exactly <laughs> You know, I, I think there's a lot of demand from the, you know, the actual market that we're piggybacking off of to like solve these problems. So sure. I, I do fully expect it to sort of get better over time. Like I said, I, I like the idea. I just that that's a crutch I would not want to get like reliant on for, for doing like really big stuff with like consequences. If yeah. In the moment that those comms don't work. Yeah. So that's a big moment to be wondering what that other person's thinking. Exactly. I mean, I, the flip side of that is I remember the first time I, I did a jump with comms. It was with my buddy Tristan Henley. And nothing in this world had prepared me for someone heckling me in my swoop. <laughs> like I just, it never even occurred to me that it was like a thing, right? So I'm like, you know, I'm halfway through my turn and then this little voice is like, meh, I do another spin. And I'm <laughs> fuck off. I'm like, I'm very busy right now. Like I'm really trying to focus. It, it was like such a bizarre moment. Man, well, that sounds pretty wild. It sounds borderline magical to me. I like it. 
Yeah. Man, as we get close to the end, uh, DQ introduced a new thing to the show that I forget to do sometimes, but I do like to remember to do, and it's uh, what do you jump? So what's your gear? Yeah, so um, I jump Infinities from Velocity Sports Equipment, like fucking awesome containers. I've been working with Kelly for a while now. Um, I jump Fluid Wings Canopies. Um, so I jump three different sizes of HK2 for competition and uh, Werewolf for freestyle. I use LMB altimeters. I jump bird monkey um, swoop shorts and, and jerseys and whatnot. Um, I also jump a lot of safe gear. Uh, yeah, I think. Do I you think use bird monkey's belly band? I do. Dude, it's Dude, awesome. It's dope. Those things are so good. It's got a pocket for your RDS and a snack. And, and a pocket for your snack or yeah. your phone if you're uh, one of those people who lands out a lot. Um, or Wingsuiters? Wingsuiters, <laughs> but also, I mean, if you're if you're the canopy pilot for CP, I mean, the, the rule at my drop zone is that if you're doing a high pull, you need to take a phone um, because me and Marcel broke the record for the furthest anyone's landed from the drop zone because <laughs> um, he cut away at 12 grand with nuking uppers and then we... Chased his chased his main for nine and a half miles. So like, man, it, it's it's good to know that you have a phone. Like, cause I don't know. I mean, personally, like these parachutes are super expensive, and if God. if I think it's gonna go somewhere, I can go with it. Like, I probably want to do that, but like, I will not be doing that without a phone again. That was yeah, nine awesome. and a half miles. I'm just trying to imagine that it's uh you know a normal day on the ground at Skydive Spaceland. Someone lands nine and a half miles off, and we don't hear from him. Yeah, it was man. It was what a nightmare! Not our best decision making. Like I, you know, I, I will like take the licks for that one. Like it, it just wasn't very well thought. Did out you call the drop zone when you landed? How the fuck would we call him? We didn't have phones. Me, did you? <laughs> <laughs> Start yelling. Yeah, smoke. You pop smoke. Well, but then, then like the airplane was like circling over us, and we're like, great. They're hoping us look for the main. And they're like, no, trying to figure out whether or not we died. Um, and I mean, you know, whatever. I mean, the good news is like it was two of us, so it, it, I think that is much less stressful than just one. You know, I mean, the chances that if one of us hurt ourselves, the other one was then there to do something about it I think, is a lot better. But yeah, I will not be doing that again. That was just like a really poor decision on, on sort of both of our parts. Um, but yeah, th- those belly bands are great, especially, um, you know, like I did all of MFS at Nationals in a pair of really tiny booty shorts, which like I will die on the hill of like they're super good for MFS. Um, but, you know, no IDS pocket on them. So I like had someone to jump my jam my slider like they're they're fucking awesome. I got to look up your team photo for MFS. It was oh, from dude. MFS? Yeah. Um, I actually, I think, I don't know if I was wearing in the team photo, but if you look at my Instagram, like, I think my last post was like a picture of me, like, flexing pretty hard in them. I'm psyched. I'm excited to see that. They're they're glorious. I actually, I got the, the report from, from a friend of my girlfriend's at Summerfest. She was, like, trying to explain who I was, and she's like, oh, was he the guy in the very small shorts? And she's like, yeah. She's like, I don't didn't know if I was supposed to look. I'm like, yeah, you can look. <laughs> like it is. I think I got it. I'm on your Facebook right now. Oh, you yeah, got yeah. a stance going. And oh, yeah. Good. Oh, yeah. God damn. That's the one. Got to do it. They lift <laughs> nice, and they man. separate is the is the party line. Dude, on, showing on some good quad and some good hamstring. Mm-hmm. There. That's it. Man, you're flying in them too. Like I see those legs. That oh, yeah. Good. Dude, honestly, like, I mean, whatever. I'm also just not a very good free flyer, but like. It sort of it kind of helps with the transitions, you know, because you don't have all this drag. So when you tummy out super hard, <laughs> you like you don't get smacked as hard. It's great. Man, I recommend I, it. I gotta find more word or for more places in my vocabulary to stick the word tummy. Yeah. Yeah. Just in the Start main load in, in the loading area. Hey, who's doing tummy jumps? Who's on their tummy? Free flying or you tummy flying? Do you have a Do you have a board with the loading order? Yeah. Does it currently say belly? Does it have to? <laughs> Depends like on that. how early I get there tomorrow. <laughs> Tate and, tum- and <laughs> do, you guys, do you guys know who the tummy organizer is for this weekend? <laughs> oh my god! It's Tummy Miller. <laughs> <laughs> do we need to make like just take on tape and put tummy organizers? So every time an organizer puts their name on that whiteboard, just 
tummy organizer underneath it. Brilliant. Yeah, they'll be good to go. Man, we turn into pumpkins. It's it's uh, late. We're old. You woke up early. I did. Anything you want to share with your friends and family? No, just thanks for having me, man. This was awesome. Dude, super excited. Thank you for being here. We'll see what happens this weekend. Uh, hopefully, we'll get you back sometime soon. But white boy, play some funky music. Uh, Mr. P, we'll be back. Uh, what's two weeks from now? Is two weeks not Thanksgiving yet? I really, really needed to be Thanksgiving still. Why? I'm just fucking, I have no idea. I have no idea either, man. But yeah, we've got a few people lined up. So we'll be back in two weeks, guys. See you then. Yeah. Hey, hey later, guys. guys. What is two weeks from now? You're crushing it. Just crushing it. I feel like we usually talk now. Hasn't that been a thing? We still meant to say I mean, stuff? yeah, we. I mean, Facebook Live is done, but we're definitely still recording. Yeah, yeah this part actually does uh, typically not get trimmed. Some of it will get trimmed, but most of it doesn't. Brian Menard definitely listens to this part. Yes, Brian, we, we love you. We've said weird things at this point. I actually gave away a free altimeter at this point. And some, and someone nice. was like, yo, if you hear this part, do this, 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 and I'll give you a free altimeter. Uh-huh. And, and somebody hit me up. responded. I've got no, a free more than one. I've got an L&B <laughs> hat waiting for the next person that, that brings this up. Of, hey, yeah, you know that episode of Rich L. Butts? I heard you mention a free hat. You give it away yet? How do they tell you? They're going to have to come up and say that. Walk up to Nick and just point at your tummy. This is going <laughs> to <laughs> Yes. And we're out. <laughs> Oh, man.